This episode of the Kettle and Cup podcast is brought to you by us. It's true. We currently have no sponsors, but we want some. We want you. We need you. We need your support. Contact us today about becoming a podcast sponsor. It's easy. All right, let's get the show started. Hi, everybody. This is Alex. Welcome to the Kettle and Cup podcast. Today, I have an interview with local, regional, Wisconsin rock legend, Dale Glaudel. Dale is an awesome guy, and I'm glad that I had the opportunity to sit down and talk with him. We discussed a bit of his history and his rock and roll history, and we talked about his current solo performances as Lonesome Dale. It's pleasure to have had the opportunity to sit down and chat with him. Dale and I go back just only a few years, really, and so it was a good opportunity for me to learn a few things about him, and it's a really good conversation, so that's coming up here really soon. After that, we have our roundup. Lori and I will talk about some of the events of today and a little bit about past podcasts and some future things. We recently went on a trip. We posted the first episode of the America Land podcast, which has some travel tips and things like that. We'll post another one in a few podcasts down the line. We'll talk about the most recent trip that we took to Door County. It was a lot of fun. Just wanted to address a couple of quick things here. Recently, I did go and see the doctor. I'm doing pretty well. It's no surprise. I need to get some exercise. So if you're in the Reedsburg area and you happen to see me walking along the side of the road or on the sidewalk early morning, I'm usually exercising with my sister or I'm exercising with Lori. And it's been really nice. The weather has been pretty good. It's been a little humid, but it hasn't been too bad that we can't get out and get around. I do appreciate everybody taking the time to wave and say hello. And I apologize, as I would mentioned at least one time earlier, I don't always recognize people right off. So if you wave at me and I don't quite respond, it's nothing personal. Also, I'm pretty much concentrating on not dying while I'm out there in the heat. So um, I, I know it's it's not funny, right? No, health is not something to, well, health might be, but definitely dying is not something to laugh and joke about. So I apologize if I've offended anybody. I'm not dying. I'm doing pretty well, actually. In fact, uh, as a little known secret, I'm actually getting taller. It's kind of odd. All of my adult life, until recently, I was five foot seven. And then maybe about two or three years ago, I'm five, seven and a half. And recently, I went to see the doctor and they, of course, measure you right off. And I turn my head away when they do the weight, which I think everybody does. I don't like to beat myself up over something like that. And I was measured for height. I'm five foot eight now. I don't know how that's happening. And I no, 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 I don't wear lifts. So I'm not sure what's happening with all that. Kidding aside, yes, health is important. I'm trying to curtail some of the crazy things that I'm eating. I'm trying to get 
serious about things. Many people know I was vegan for a number of years, and I really did enjoy the health benefits, the energy being vegan. It was really nice. It was a challenge, however, to eat vegan in most places. Well, really, the thing is, I should be eating at home, and I wasn't always doing that, of course, and not everybody does. It's a little-known fact about us, probably a it's a well-known fact about us that we like to socialize and be out in public and eating out is one of those things that allows for us to do that sort of thing. So when you're eating out, unless the establishment already has a vegan menu, you have to ask for certain things. And it just became easier for us to forego certain things that were ingredients. And then later it was easier just to not scrape cheese off of things. And then the next thing you know, you're ordering things that consist of cheese, like grilled cheese sandwich it's right in the name in fact but anyway yeah i got a little sloppy with being vegan and then i got a little sloppy with being vegetarian so i'm doing what i can to get back on that sort of thing i just wanted to take another moment to thank everybody who's been listening our listenership has really expanded considerably we went from getting just you know under 100 different people who are listening to 200 unique downloads and well last check it was well over 400 unique downloads and some of that I'm sure has to do with us most of it I believe is because of the subject and people with whom we're discussing and interviewing so big thank you to everybody who's been a part of this and it's been a lot of fun so we're going to keep going with it and we're going to keep pushing on with the podcast I'd like to get them out more than once per month if I can help it Uh, we can talk about sponsorship if that's something that can be a part of what's happening and that way we can get podcasts out more regularly and more frequently. So thank you, thank you, thank you if you hear this. uh, You're an important person to us. Thank you. And here is my interview with Dale Gladell. You know, it's interesting because I, um, I kind of, uh, whenever I approach a new decade, I always think to myself as I'm coming into it, I'm kind of like, man, I, you know, when I turned 30, I was like, I don't want my thirties to start because my twenties were just awesome. <laughs> and then when I reached 40, I was like, I don't want my forties to start because my thirties have been the greatest, uh-huh. you know? And now I, I don't really want 50 you know, I got a few years, but yeah. I don't want it to creep up on me because I feel like um, my 40s have been terrific. Yeah? Yeah. I'm having a great time. <laughs> well, that sounds okay. I, I It's weird because uh, I hear this a lot from people that are my age, for example. Mm-hmm. I keep hearing things like, um, you know, it doesn't feel like that. I don't feel that old. I still feel 16 or 26. Sure, or, yeah. You know, so... Um, yeah, I, I don't know. You know, I'm rounding the corner on 60. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's pretty scary. Are you coming into 60 rounding the corner, you know, running, running hard or are you R- coming into 60 down in the dirt sliding? Well, um, <laughs> uh, let's just say I've got roller skates. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I, I, I actually like being the sage. I, um. I've discovered that I'm kind of like a, the the grumpy old man kind of guy. Mm-hmm. 
you know? So I got a lot of people saying things, you know, that, that I read or that I see, and it's like, ah, why those kids? <laughs> kids today, I tell you. So, yeah, I, I don't know. I, it's, I'm glad that I'm the age that I am. I wouldn't want to go back. So, you know, I, I think you'll find that. And you, it's kind of weird because you get to a place where it's, it's a lot more zen than what you'd think. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like you lose, you kind of lose the idea that people are judging you. I, I noticed that people in their 30s and 40s seem to have this big thing. And I, I know I had it too. You know, it's like I have to be looked upon in a certain way. Otherwise, you know, it's going to be horrible. Mm-hmm. And the only thing I could think of is like, wow, this is this is great. I, I love the fact that I'm who I am and... If you don't like it, then that's okay. We're all good, you know. That seems kind of comforting. Yeah, it kind of is. I, I think that, um, you know, you may you may subscribe to this yourself. When I was younger, I had a hard time seeing myself older. Uh-huh. I mean i I wanted to see I wanted to see those milestones. Like I wanted to see driving age. I wanted to yeah. see, you know. Uh, 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 making quotes here, adult age, <laughs> moving out on my own, and then, you know, matrimony and all of that good stuff. Yeah. I wanted to see that, but I never, nobody older than me, not my brothers who are, you know, nine and, and six years respectively, mm-hmm. um, or my parents, uh, nobody prepared me for not knowing anything as I got older. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I thought that there came this magical age, I would know everything. Everything? No, as a matter of fact, I think it works the other way because when you're when you're just out of high school, you know everything. Mm-hmm. And then when you get to be older, it's like, wow, I didn't know anything at all. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, I, I really I really thought that there would be some sort of uh like age of enlightenment for me where suddenly I'd you know I'd Ta-da. <laughs> yeah, maybe that's it. Maybe the enlightenment is that you know you're not, you're not going to know everything, right? You still listen to uh, contemporary music? Yeah, yeah, more or less. More or less. Yeah. Like, what would you say? What would you say that you listen to right now that's contemporary? <sighs> like uh, genre, I guess. Probably more countryish. I think. I think more probably modern country than anything else. Better than 50% of all radio stations across America are country. Yeah. So that means that the other, just short of half, is all other genres from exactly jazz to rap, that sort of thing. Uh, how do you feel about modern country music? Modern country music? Yeah, I mean, the contemporary stuff that's going on right now. <laughs> okay. So one of the more disturbing things that you see online and stuff like that mm-hmm. is that there's a formula and these formulas are used, I think, by by radio stations and by by record producers and everything like that. And basically, what you do is you follow this formula. It's mm-hmm. like paint by numbers. Sure. You know? So I think I posted something like that on Facebook recently about, um, what is it called, Stadium Country? Okay. And essentially, it's about, um, so here's where you put the 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 uh thing about drinking here's the thing that you put about the pickup truck you know sure yeah and and it's almost paint by numbers so 
it kind of becomes soulless. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's not very, it's, it's, I like to think of it as the McDonald's of music. So the great thing about it though, is that McDonald's is easy to take, you know? I mean, you're not going to listen to some country song and go, Oh, like that, you right, know? Right. Well, you're, if you, if you follow the formula is what you're if saying. If you follow the formula. Right. Hmm, so if you like one, you're bound to like them all. Right. And I, I think in a way that's kind of comforting to a lot of people because, you know, it, it's kind of reflective on their lives. You know, I'm a hardworking guy and I get in my pickup truck on Friday and I go down to the tavern and I have a drink and, you know, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So I think that's, that's it. Um, I think modern country has replaced um, what I used to call pop music. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. So I don't know if you remember, you, you're quite a bit younger than I am, but there were top hits mm-hmm. like back in the 70s and 80s and stuff like that that were certainly not rock hits at all. You know, you had Neil Sadaka, you had, um, you know, Daddy Don't You Walk So Fast, you had uh, um, Chicago Lace. What was the. Oh, Paper Lace, The Night paper Chicago lace, Died? The Night Chicago Died, yeah, yeah. sure. Yeah, you know, and obviously those are not rock songs per se, but they were very popular and that sort of thing, and they 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 were kind of silly little songs, but they made people laugh, and people liked them, and they listened to them, and it, and it was okay. Everything mm-hmm. was all right. So you're thinking that modern popular country is falling into that it's not exactly because you know that's the big thing right a lot of people are arguing whether or not it's actually country music yeah at this point and it's not not really how old were you when you really started to take a liking to music how do you remember how old you were when music was it of course um so there was the summer of seventh grade and i had a buddy of mine he lived across the street from me, a little bit down the street and everything. And and so we would go to his house. And he was like this great, cool kid. He used to make all these great um, monster models. Oh, sure. Yeah. You know, you know, mm-hmm. he had the, the Wolfman and, mm-hmm. and Dracula and all this other stuff. And he was a really cool kid. He, he had his uh, mattress on the floor. He had a black light. Hmm. And a bunch of other stuff. So, and his his sister was older. She was my babysitter, and he also had two other brothers. And it was kind of cool because the brothers had record albums, mm-hmm. like tons of them, like hundreds of them. And so he and I, we would go sneak into their brother's room, and we'd take out all these albums, and we'd listen to like the band and. Grand Funk Railroad and uh, Bob Dylan and and the Beatles and just um, Creedence Clearwater Revival, for mm-hmm. example. Sure. And all of a sudden, my interest in music kind of changed from the poppy stuff, which was the Partridge Family and the Archies and mm-hmm. yeah. Bubblegum Rock. Yeah, absolutely. It kind of changed from that to kind of like, oh, wow, you know. Um, Black Sabbath. We heard the very first couple of Black Sabbath albums, and we just played the heck out of them, you know, because we love that kind of music. It was great. 
So um, that was probably the summer where I kind of like, and my hair grew longer that summer. Mm -hmm. I was like, you know, I I wore white (laughs) 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 t-shirts. And, you know, I went from that to bell bottoms and, you know, my hair grew over my ears and Mm -hmm. stuff. And Mm -hmm. I started saying things like, peace, man, far out, you know, things like that. Sure, (laughs) sure. So this had to be early 70s, I would guess, then at this point, probably, if you were listening to Credence and, and Black yep. Sabbath. Yeah. Um, an amazing time because uh, I got started on music pretty young, having older siblings, and my mom was, was, was gracious enough to let us listen to whatever we wanted to listen to. Sure. That's, that's the positive spin on it. She yeah. never really uh, held us back from listening to too much. Um. I love my mom, so that's my nice way of saying that she wasn't really aware of a lot of the stuff that well, we were yeah. listening to. Like, yeah, <laughs> because I'm sure. by the time my oldest brother started driving, we were listening to eight tracks in the car, and oh, yeah. she had no idea. But um, that all notwithstanding, um, those those '70s years when there were all of the rumors floating around, like. You know, will the Beatles get back together? Oh, yeah. You know, yeah. oh, it's it's possible, but John says no, or it's possible, but George says no. I remember you. I remember all that stuff. I don't know if you do, but oh yeah, like yeah. on Saturday Night Live when uh, Lauren Michaels was trying to bribe them to come back together for one oh, show. Oh yeah, I did. I remember he offered like what was it, a thousand dollars or something like that. It was a thousand per Beatle. Or yeah, something, something and, like that. I think yeah. in the end he said four thousand if you want to give Ringo a little less. That's up to you. Guys. <laughs> But, um, you know, between that and and radio, much like what you're saying, radio didn't really have the constraints or the guidelines or it wasn't like tied up in this neat little bow that it seems to be now. Right. Right. So I can remember listening. I grew up in Chicago. I listened Uh. to WLS. And on that station, not only would you hear something from the Eagles or the Beatles, which, you know, was still relevant, uh-huh. or Stevie Wonder. Um, but you would also hear something from, like, Barry Manilow. Mm-hmm. Or Elton John at the time was considered pretty rocking. You'd, you'd hear something from him. Right. And so, you know, those early uh, Billy Joel records and things like that, uh-huh. they were there alongside of Juice Newton. Right, right. You know, so there was, like, yes, if you were listening to, I think it was WMAQ, was the real country station where uh, you would hear Roy Clark and Johnny Cash and Willie Nelson and Dolly Parton. Country, yeah. Right. <laughs> but you'd still hear, you know, Anne Marie mm-hmm. on WLS doing uh, Snowbird, I think. Snowbird, was the yep. first one I remember from her. That one in uh, You Needed Me, I think, was the other one. Mm-hmm. Um, so there, there weren't any real constraints during no. that time. It there seemed, weren't big walls or anything. Right. Yeah. It seemed like sometime in the eighties and it was probably MTV, you know, playing a big part in that where suddenly you weren't going to hear Madonna on the same station that you were going to hear Elton John. Right. Or you weren't going to hear, um, the Eagles on the same station that you would hear Michael Jackson. Well, and I think, well, you know, getting a little zen here but i think that's also what's happened in our <clears throat> in our reality in our world today we've all become very pigeonholed on our taste from everything from clothing to uh music to 
uh, our politics, everything. You know, nowadays you are a blank, blank, blank. Mm-hmm. You know, you're this little pigeonhole and you can't stray outside of that because if you do, you know, it's there's something wrong with you. you know? Sure. So I think back then it was painted with a much larger brush, mm-hmm. I think, for example. So you can hear those types of music and there was crossover hits everywhere. You know, that was a, that was a big term way back in the seventies and early eighties was crossover hits. Um, now I don't know. Um, you know, the country music tries to be crossover, but essentially it's still kind of pop music. What did your parents do for a living? Oh, we're going to go that far, huh? Well, I'm just curious uh, of what it takes to make the man. <laughs> mm, okay. Ah. Um, well, let's see. We're way back in 49. Um, so it's it's interesting because it's in the book. I don't know if you knew that. I wrote a book. I actually wrote a book, and it was called Beer All Over the Dance Floor. I have indeed read excerpts from the book, and oh. some of them are available on your website. That's right. That's correct. Okay. And I haven't sold anything yet, so I'm not not looking to sell anything. Although, if there's any publishers, no. <laughs> um, all right. So my my mother was. Um, well, first of all, I should tell you that I grew up right here in beautiful Reedsburg, Wisconsin. Mm-hmm. Love Reedsburg, sort of. Um, <laughs> uh, until they threw me out. That was another thing. Sure. Um, but. Um, so my mother was um, uh, a bookkeeper, and she worked for um, like Stacy's. Uh, it was uh, the A and W way back in the day. Sure. Um, and she also worked at the bowling alley. My dad, he worked as a government inspector, but my dad was an interesting character because even though he worked as a Q and A person for the government um he essentially was a fixer he loved to fix things so when he got done with his work he often fixed things so you could find him down in the basement fixing a radio or a television or a stereo or something and so um my family was just the three of us i didn't have any brothers or sisters i have um i had two half-brothers, one passed away during the 80s, um, that are much older than I am, and they live in Chicago, or in the Chicago area. Mm -hmm. Uh, So it was essentially my mother, my father, and I, which makes me a very spoiled child. (laughs) Now, being a spoiled child, I also had a lot of trouble in school. I also, and that's in the book as well, I suffered all kinds of bad things that I had done. Um, some people still bring up the fact in fifth grade I threw the apple at the teacher. Uh, yeah, you know, <laughs> and I, I was essentially a pretty much out of control kid, and thank goodness that my parents, they tried everything they could to try and, uh, let's see, try and figure out some sort of distraction. You know, mm-hmm. something that would distract me from it. And that's when they brought home a guitar. And it wasn't my guitar. It was my mother's guitar. But I banged around on it. And I discovered I wanted it. And basically, they used that as a lever and said, 
if you're good, you know, we'll get you a guitar for Christmas, mm -hmm. which they did. Mm -hmm. 1968. Nice. 1968, they bought me a tiny little Ward's catalog Sorrento guitar. Yeah, one little pickup, two little controls on it, a little 10-watt amplifier with an on and off switch and a volume control. Thank goodness for the volume control. <laughs> and they gave me lessons at Kathy's Music, and that's how I kind of got started in it. So that was 68. Yeah. And you were at that point transitioning from pop music into some more earnest stuff. Yeah. Did you go through a folk period? Actually, no. I was I was totally rock, Mr. Rock and Roll. Mm -hmm. That was it. I was, you know, I was into um, actually what was considered then heavy, you know. Sure. You know, um, it was um, bands like, um, like I said, uh, Creedence Clearwater, um, a band called Frigid Pink, You're, you know, um, we used to do that. Um, gosh, just lots of real heavy guitar type stuff in Agata de Vida. Sure. I mean, you know. Sure, everything from Brownsville Station to Blue Cheer. Yeah, absolutely. When when would you say that you had an aptitude for guitar? Was it right away? <laughs> I don't think I've ever had an aptitude for guitar. <laughs> I'm serious. You choose it. Yeah, I do. I do. I love it. Um, well, that brings up the rest of the family story. So, mm -hmm. so um, again, my father was, um, he was older. So he was about 65 when I was 13. Mm -hmm. So now back in those days, they didn't know about things like cholesterol. They didn't know about things like heart health and all the rest of that. Sure. And one day he was fixing a TV set and accidentally had gotten shocked and um, the shock was enough to put his heart into arrest. He had a heart attack, and he died. On the spot? Yes. Wow. Yeah, and I was not there. Very traumatic. This was, I'm sorry, this was at home? Actually, this was at a friend's house here in Reedsburg. So he was there helping them with their television. Mm-hmm. Received a shock. Yeah. And died right then and there. Yep, right on the kitchen floor. And he was 65. 65. Okay. So, like I said, very traumatic. It was very, yeah. very tough for my mother, who they were just married 20 years, mm -hmm. just 20 years. Uh, very traumatic for me because, you know, I was 13. I had no idea. I had people coming up to me at the funeral and saying, you know, Dale, you, you're going to have to be the man of the house. Sure. And it's like, man of the house? I just got done playing with G.I. Joe's for crying out loud, you know? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So um, it was very traumatic. I locked myself away in the bedroom for about two months or so, and I played on my guitar. And it was weird because it seemed like the guitar seemed to understand my misery, you know? Sure. So I think that's where the guitar and I fell in love with each other. I think that's where, where it all began. Hmm. Um, and it's been pretty much love ever since. <laughs> did your mother remarry? Nope. She never did? Nope. Um, as a matter of fact, when she passed away um, in 1998, she her, her last words were basically, you know, my dad's name. So that was the love of her life. 
Mm-hmm. I think so. How interesting. Yeah. And so here you are at 13-ish. Ish, yeah. Um, where a lot of young men could really use guidance uh-huh. from a male uh, role model. Yep. From a father figure of sorts. Uh, yeah, you need it when you're younger because you're playing catch and mm-hmm. learning how to ride a bike. But I think that it's really important in those teen years when you're understanding how to re- interact with other people and be a father or be a be a man. Um, social etiquette, social, what do you call that? You know, just being social with people. Mm-hmm. Like you said, you know, how to interact with people. Mm-hmm. So that's a part of me that was completely missing. So were you able to... Um were you able to get some of that from, say, uncles or, or other male role models in your life? Nope. Not no. a member of the church? Nope. 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 I was just pretty much alone. Interesting. Yeah. Hence the lonesome. <laughs> <laughs> and so did you start out with guitar right away with the idea that you were going to start a band and get guys together and and start playing rock and roll? Well, after after my dad passed away, yeah. That was the that was the essential thought of it. Actually, believe it or not, and this is pretty detailed in the book, is where um, our friend Scott, mm-hmm. Scott Erickson. Mm-hmm. Hi, Scott. Um, don't and, don't kid yourself. Scott's not listening. I to know this. he's not. <laughs> he's <laughs> he's going Dale. Who? Who's yeah. that guy? I think yeah. he owes me money. Um. <laughs> so he and I were were like best friends way back in fifth grade, mm-hmm. and um, I don't know. We were just kind of clowning around in my bedroom. You know, we were. He was drawing things and stuff, and and I remember that we had a mutual love for like Alice Cooper. Mm-hmm. Alice Cooper was like our hero. Sure. You know. Again, more heavy music. More heavy music, yeah. Although I still say there's no experience than being a teenager and turning off all the lights and listening to side B of Love It to Death from by Alice Cooper. That is truly a religious experience. I'll put that on my list. A, please. <laughs> but anyway, so here we are, um, and Scott's drawing this stuff, and he's drawing a drum. He's basically drawing his um, his bass drum, mm-hmm. and he's thinking about names of bands. And so all of a sudden, he kind of goes, um, "You know, maybe we should, you know, create a band. Maybe we should make a band." And it's like a band. Yeah, what a great idea. Hey, you know what? Girls like guys in bands. <laughs> yeah, that's a great idea. So that was the idea: is that we would create a band and get girls because we had no social skills whatsoever at least mm-hmm. i didn't mm-hmm. you know so that seemed like the perfect idea we had a um actually he had a mutual friend by the name of jeff akala who played tuba in seventh grade band at that point and so obviously he's playing tuba therefore he's got to be bass sure so before you know it there was a trio born you know and our other big heroes, of course, were a band called Grand Funk Railroad, which was a power trio. Mm-hmm. So that became kind of our, they became our gold standard, you know. And we actually even had nicknames for a tiny little while that were reflective of the, the guys in the band, you know, Grand Funk Railroad. We had no idea what we were doing, none. We had no guidance, no music, no nothing. 
I knew a little bit about music from my guitar lessons. I knew how to play TikTok pretty good mm-hmm. and Twinkle Twinkle Little Star. Both very applicable. Uh, yes. <laughs> Believe it or not, you still hear it on the radio today, or at least parts of it. Um, and Scott was playing um, a snare drum. He was playing in the marching band, mm-hmm. and so was Jeff. And basically what we did is I, we bugged our parents, you know, said, you know, come on, come on, buy us some stuff. Come on, we need sure. some stuff. Mm-hmm. So they... Got us some stuff because, right, being in a band is better than what the bad stuff they could yeah. be doing at right, all. Right, It's a distraction, thank goodness, you know. So um, so that was kind of the, the genesis of the whole, the whole band thing. And essentially, I've been playing in bands almost since. I mean, almost every year, every weekend since. I know that you are a pretty diligent archivist for your music career. Mm-hmm. I know that you have a lot of things that a lot of people probably wouldn't, wouldn't have right. on their own career. Like you, you could probably sit here and tell me that the names of every band that you've been a part of, uh, if you, if you really wanted to. Yeah. Would you say that, that, in, I'll even include some of the early uh, incarnations of groups with, with Scott and, and with Jeff that you mentioned. Uh-huh. Would you say that you are you have been a part of upwards of 20 different bands over the years? Oh, easily. Would easily. you say that you would have maybe been a part of as many as 50 bands over the years? No, I don't think quite 50, but I'd say probably 20, 25. How many, to, uh, go ahead. How many of those included Scott? Well, quite a few actually. Mm-hmm. He's he's kind of been the yin to my yang for a lot of years. Sure. Um, and and it's just one of those things where um, I don't know. It's just that we've known each other for a long time. We had a lot of history um, for a good long time. We could actually. I mean, it, it, there's a weird thing that happens with musicians when they get used to each other. You know, you look back at each other and go, "There it is." Mm-hmm. You know, wherever the one is, mm-hmm. that's the one. Mm-hmm. And so we could do that because we had been together so long. It's like, "Yep, here it is." You know. Sure. Um, so because of that, um, I think that that was one of the reasons that we had been together as as kind of a musical couple i guess you could say sure sure yeah it's a it's it's a very interesting collective consciousness that happens among band members yeah and you can dissect it afterwards or try to and and say to your fellow members you know during this song did you notice this or did you notice that and Uh everybody's approach to it is is slightly different yeah. Scott, in my experience with him, is, which is a, a sliver of time compared to to your experience with him in bands, the only real way that I can have a conversation with him when it comes to songs or performances is, is based on counting in time. Sometimes, yep, that's it. <laughs> he's he's a human metronome. He, well, yeah, 
talk to him for a while about the dotted quarter note. That that is is a hour long conversation right there. It's <laughs> like say you, next time I have a, a next time we carpool to a away gig, uh, maybe I'll do that. Yeah, just say what's this thing with the dotted quarter note? Oh, have I got something to tell you? you know? <laughs> so, in a in a manner of speaking, then you went from parent parent-son dynamic to a brotherhood dynamic. Yeah. A brotherhood dynamic among men because you didn't have a brother either. Right. Growing up. Right. So in a way, music and bands kind of filled in some of those gaps for you. It defined me. And one of the things I've discovered about that, which is very hard on the heart, by the way, the thing about having a band is that you and you know this, they're like your brothers, mm-hmm. you know? They're like your family. You get to know their their wives and their kids and you know where they live and you know how they live and you know how their little quirks work and, and all the rest of that. And they become literally your de facto family, sure. like a secondary family. Absolutely. Um, the problem comes is when the band breaks up, all of a sudden those, those relationships dis- disappear. They go mm-hmm. poof. So all of a sudden, you know, it's like, you know, I miss my brother so-and-so, you know, because, you know, uh, so that was always very difficult for me because it was always like, you know, there the band would break up. It'd be almost like a divorce, sure. you know? Sure. So, you know, all the nice things that you said about each other once upon a time, now you're saying terrible things about each other and now you're jealous because they're with this other band and, right. you know? And so it can be very, very difficult to have that sort of relationship. And especially if you're an unanchored person such as myself, or at least I used to think that, um, because what you, what you're doing is you're essentially, you know, moving your family around. You, you gain a family, you lose a family, you gain a family, you lose a family. And there, there are still people in my life who unfortunately will never talk to me again because of, you know, things that happened in the band, which is too bad. It's a very, you put yourself into a very vulnerable position. It's a very unique thing. I was thinking about it one time actually in rehearsal with Altered Ego very early on. I to take it back my first real band pop suicide was together for a very long time sure and although i would guest here and there and we kind of branched into doing a a blues thing Mm -hmm. much like yourself i worked with a drummer whom i'd worked with for many years and that was just we were brothers and that was how it was right but when i got involved with altered ego he wasn't a part of that situation so as a result it was kind of interesting I, I i had the opportunity as an adult to sit back and look at how vulnerable you make yourself mm-hmm. i'm not a person who could sit here and just openly sing or i can't walk into a room and and openly um i can't walk into a room and just present myself that that i here i am ladies and gentlemen i know i know it's a very difficult thing to do isn't it but outside of the performance level when you are in that rehearsal space mm-hmm. and you have that moment where you and two or three or four other guys are working it out, mm-hmm. man, that's a, that's a vulnerable place. It is. It's a very, um, 
very tentative, like very fragile, uh -huh. very fragile thing. Because you're, you know, you're working on something and you believe that you've got it down this certain way and this is the way it is. And then somebody comes along and says, no, it isn't like that. It's this other chord. And you say, no, no, I've listened to it. Therefore it's my way. And then, you know, and it's, a lot of times it's it's a give and take type of thing, you know. Mm -hmm. So you have to almost like pick your battles almost, you know. And it, and it's, it is very much a family dynamic because, you know, it's like sitting around the supper table, you know. <laughs> as long you know. as everybody's working towards the same goal. Right. As long as you're fortunate enough to be in a group with guys who all share in the same vision and it's not even something where you have to believe in something new or original, right. but we want to do our best. Right. And this is what I'm going to do to help all of us right. do our best. Um, the moment it, it transgresses from that, then it's a different story. Yeah, you know, one-upmanship and one's ego gets involved. It's I, I'm going to say something real positive here, so you're going to have to forgive me. Okay. <laughs> um, I've been lucky enough for the past many years to be involved in situations just like that where everybody basically pulls their own weight um, even though you may not agree with somebody at that particular point you have a lot of respect for each other um, I have been in bands where it's been the opposite mm -hmm. and that was many years ago thank goodness that doesn't seem to happen very much anymore with me which thank goodness that is the way it is because it does it it's tiring you know it's like being in a bad relationship with sure. somebody you sure. know that's mm -hmm. exactly it so i've been real fortunate in, in in the last many years to be involved with people that are you know true professionals you know i remember the first time we ever played together you said I can take direction, speaking of yourself, <laughs> yeah. I can take direction. Tell me what you'd like me to play or, you know, tell tell me how you want me to play something. That's fine. But please don't take my guitar out of my hands oh, yeah. and and play it. And I don't know if I if I said something that day. I know it registered and obviously it registered in my mind because yeah. I, I brought it up now. And I thought, you must have been in some situations with some challenging people <laughs> <laughs> that's a good way of putting it yeah. i mean i've been unplugged i've yeah. had somebody unplug me before <laughs> did I've, you really oh yeah you know when you're a kid there's always oh, yeah. gonna be somebody right? yeah. yeah and and i've been in situations where where people have literally walked away i think everybody has done that but i don't know that i've ever been in a situation where somebody has taken my guitar from me to show me something oh yeah that would i don't know that i could stand that for very long well it it wasn't stood for very long and and unfortunately the gentleman that did that that did that a lot i still respect him as a musician he's a great musician just not a very good person sometimes you run across a lot of those too you know i have a, a i have a rolodex in my head of people based on their commitment level and terms in which i've uh placed on them and you know, you have people that you deal with that are the uh, something came up guys. Oh, <laughs> you know, yeah. you, you have they they can't ever make rehearsal because something comes up. Yeah, yeah. And and then you have you know, these are going to sound terrible. You have uh, <laughs> you have guys um, 
that are in the band and not only are they in the band, but the wife is in the band, the oh, kids are in the band, everybody's yeah. involved in the band. Oh, and yeah. Everything has to happen as a as a group uh-huh. agreement in order for something to happen. You also have the guys who I could do this if that didn't happen. <laughs> I could sing really well if I stopped smoking cigarettes oh, yeah. or, you know, I uh, I could play better on a better guitar, you know, yeah. that sort of thing. And I moved here at the age of 16 and I probably would have encountered a number of those types of people anywhere, right? Yeah. But it really seems like there's a lot of those guys in this area. Well, it's that is true. That is true. I I've gotten lucky where a lot of people have given me some valuable pieces of information over the years. And one of the first things that I learned is never apologize for doing a show. Never apologize. Never apologize for doing your best, you know, because it's important for people to know that you're out there for them. You're mm-hmm. doing this, you know. You're not, oh, I, I'm i sorry, I've got a cold, I can't sing today. Or, sure. You know, I, I hear a lot of that too, so yeah. There's a, um, again, there's an ego dynamic with that. You have to have an ego to you know, to be able to get up in front of people and, you know, sing and perform and, and be charming, you know? Mm-hmm. And it, it's a very difficult, when you're younger especially, it's a very difficult thing to be able to balance, you know? You don't want you don't want to come off as too much because then you're haughty and you're a diva and all the rest of that. But, you know, you also don't want to be the wallflower either. So for people like me that are a basic wallflower in life, mm-hmm. it's really hard to get out there and just, you know, ta-da, here I am. Sure. Yeah. Um, how did you manage to get through slagging through all of that, the, finding the right people in a sea of maybes? <laughs> how, how did you manage to do that? Now, I'm, I'm going to push ahead here to Checkered Past, yeah. which I... I think we would both agree is uh your most uh enduring band well they're okay we'll we'll call it that yeah there's been a number of different lineups for checker checker past right right so you know excuse me for for making it seem as though the checkered past from the early 90s is the same checkered past that people are going to go and see today it's not right. necessarily the case right however you've you've stayed true to the checkered past brand. <laughs> There's a brand? Sure there is. <laughs> there absolutely is. So so what kept you going with it? What kept you going when sometimes you're like, oh, I can't trust. I'm just going to throw names out there that aren't real names. Sure. And if they correspond with people, I apologize. You know, I can't trust that Brad's going to come in here tonight and play a good show because you know, Brad drinks too much or he's unpredictable or whatever, but Brad's the best we can get right now until we can get somebody better. I can't Mm -hmm. trust that Gary's going to remember the change Mm -hmm. because Gary never remembers the change. Right. You know, what kept you going through that? You guys played a lot of shows. Yeah. And, and I think this is the first year, 2018 is the first year you've not played a show to this point and you don't have another one booked. No. So, how did you push through 
having people involved in Checkered Past that didn't have the same level of commitment that you did. And how did you keep it going? How did you keep the fire going? Well, it, it actually didn't go after a while. I mean, remember I said uh, there was a big band breakup. It was like a divorce. Mm -hmm. That happened after one of our members was um, in a terrible car wreck, drunk driving accident. Uh, he lost the ability to walk. And I think that was probably <clears throat> a very bad time for the band because we kind of like worried about each other and everything. Mm -hmm. So I think that was kind of the beginning of the end. It was like a big divorce. Everybody pointed fingers at each other and it was just bad. So um, a number of years went by and I was in a band for a long time that I was very, it, it's kind of like, in a way, I would equate them to your band with Jayco, you know. It's kind of like they played everywhere. I think the one year we played something like 110 shows in one year. Wow. It was unbelievable. We were like every Friday, Saturday, sometimes Friday, Saturday, Sundays. So we did a lot of those shows, you know, a lot of the beer tent shows and all that. And the name of the band was called Midlife, or um, yeah, Midlife Crisis. So a number of years went by and the certain things happened to me over the years and I ended up having to leave that band, um, medical things and other things that happened to me. So um, one day, Scott and I were just kind of on you know, my, my porch and we were talking about stuff and, and it was kind of like, Hey, you know, we ought to get the guys together just for mm -hmm. a couple of songs, you know, how Come long, on. how, how much time had passed? Almost 10 years. Wow. Yeah. Okay. So, I mean, there was a big long space in between the two. Mm -hmm. So we were kind of saying, well, yeah, let's, let's get together. And he talked to the, one of the other guys. I talked to one of the other guys and we said, sure, let's, let's meet up. So we met up at um, one of the guitar players' houses, and we all of a sudden, it was like wearing an old, comfortable pair of shoes, you know? It was sure. kind of like, wow, you know? And we would sit outside, and we would talk big, and we would reminisce. I think that was a big part of it, was reminiscing. Mm -hmm. You know, remember the time we did this? Remember the time the bus did that? And um, I think that we did a number of shows, Mostly Mike, the bass player, Mike Litwin, he was the guy that pretty much booked all of the, the band shows. Mm -hmm. And uh, he said, yeah, well, let's let's just keep going with this. So we kind of did. Um, and there's been several, what would you call it, literations, I guess, I'm sorry, of essentially the same band, mm -hmm. you know, the core people and everything. But we've, you know, things have changed over the years, as you notice. And, and after a while, you know, it kind of grows a little long in the tooth. It's, it's really happy. I'm really happy to see those guys. And if we play another show, I guarantee you it's going to be fun. Sure. You know, it's going to be great. We'll, we'll probably play the same 30 songs we've always played and we'll have a great time. And, um, I'm hopefully there'll be a lot of people that come out and see us. One of the things that happened last year when we played in Lavelle, mm -hmm. there was a lady who came out there and she had this picture of me mm -hmm. 
when I had the long, long hair, the perm, mm-hmm, the mm-hmm. black leather pants, the, you know, I was skinny as a rail, the whole nine <laughs> yards. And she goes, I got this picture of you from back in the day. Well, her and her husband had met one night. Now, this is kind of funny because it just got back from Ontario recently. We played at a show in Ontario, this little place called Hillbillies. Okay. It was outside. And there was a big roof on the other side, and the young lady climbed up on the roof. I think alcohol might have been involved. <laughs> and she couldn't get off the roof. And there was a gentleman that came up and rescued her and literally carried her off the roof, and that became their relationship. And they got married a few years later. They had sent us Christmas cards and everything. So this same lady shows up at this this gig just last year and, and says, I don't know if you remember me, but me and my husband met with you guys, you know, and there's there's that weird kind of like I remember you type stuff mm-hmm. that goes on. So to answer the long winded answer to the question is <laughs> I think the reason that that it endured is because of all the history that we went through. I mean it's it's kind of like I equate it to being in a battle together. You know, there's nothing like going home at 3.30 in the morning in a blizzard from Hillsboro, Wisconsin, and there's nobody on the road, and you're going 35 miles an hour, and you're saying, oh, Lord, just get me home. That's all right. I care, right. you know? Yeah. And it, when you share that experience, it, it becomes big history, you know? So, you know, I think that's it. During a, a performance that you and I were both a part of, there was an unfortunate situation where uh, another band member's family uh, family member had passed away, and it was yeah. really traumatic. And unfortunately, understandably, he was unable to um, continue on for the remainder of the show. Right. And Mike and Brian were there doing sound at uh-huh. the time. And so we hashed things out in the parking lot and said well let's just polish this thing up that's right you were a member for for (laughs) 45 minutes that's right you are a charter member now that's right let me tell you something i have never experienced anything like it in so much as mike stepped up barked out a few commands to brian snapped his fingers i think a couple times and you guys were in it yeah and all i could do was hold on i mean Everything going from one song to the next, it was a well-oiled machine. Yeah. Going from one song to the next to the next, and all I kept thinking is, I just hope I don't screw something up. Nah. And it kept going and and moving, and people were very, um, people were very nice, and they were having a great time mm-hmm. earlier. But there was some chemistry mm-hmm. with you guys that was affecting everybody there it was very contagious energy and excitement and i think the crowd reaction during that portion was huge mm-hmm. it really was huge and the crowd was not that large but it really it really came out of those people yeah. maybe 20 25 people mm-hmm. i don't know if you remember any differently yeah, i remember yeah and i thought to myself at that time this is what it's about. It's about being entertaining. Yeah. And I think I flipped a switch in me at that point 
where I let go of making my statement yeah. and decided to be entertaining. I'd always wanted to be the guy that holds it down. Oh, yeah. Like, yeah. you know, we're going to be correct. I'm going to make sure that these songs are played properly. I'm going to be the one who's going to make sure that that everybody knows that this is what's going to happen. If I have to work one-on-one with the drummer during the song, I'm going to do it, or the singer, or whatever, or I'm the singer myself, I'm going to do that sort of thing. And at that point, and forgive me, it was very loose. Yeah, I know it was loose. But man, was it fun. Yeah. And I thought, this is what it should be. Yeah. And when it's fun on the stage, it's fun in the crowd. It is. It's contagious. And I understand, I understood that night and understand since then differently that, that you're there to entertain. Yeah. You're not there to really teach a lesson. Right. You're not there to give a note for note rendition and reproduction of something, even if it's something that you created yourself. Right. People are there to see you and they want to be entertained and that's what your job is. Right. And that's what you're hired for. You're there to be entertaining, whether you're there to entertain people who always come there every week or you're there to entertain people that you've brought to the establishment. Right. That's what you're there for. Well, you know, there's there's two schools of thought when it comes to that. And it's pretty interesting because it almost follows the two types of musicians, the two types of bands and also the two types of businesses. When you think about it, it, it all comes down to business. So. There are people that I've had arguments with about artists, true artistry. The idea behind being an artist Mm -hmm. is to be able to create or replicate something note for note, like you said, and be completely correct. Now, there's a lot of people who believe in that, and I applaud them because those are usually the people that are way over my head in musicianship. You know, those are the people that play Brahms on a piano and 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 those type of people just astound me and I love them. But there's the other side of the token and I realize I kind of go towards this other side which is I'm never going to be that. <laughs> I'm never going to be the Brahms playing on a piano guy, you know? Mm-hmm. There's no way that's going to happen. Um, so... There's that other thing where you kind of enjoy it. I mean, it may not be technically correct, but you have a lot of fun, and then all of a sudden other people have fun, and before you know it, it what you were talking about is the magic. The mm-hmm. magic is is that you got four or five musicians, right? Mm-hmm. And they may be great musicians. Individually, they may be awesome. But it's the thing that they put together. It is. It becomes a machine, which is the thing that is greater than the part, the sum of the parts. Sure. And that's where all of a sudden the magic kind of happens. Now, having said that, there's two types of bands too. There are what I call the who type bands. Who type bands are kind of like the checkered past model, which. Everybody basically thinks they're in charge of the band. <laughs> and and it's and it's everybody kind of like has sort of an equal say or whatever it is. In any case, they kind of like talk about it together and they argue about it and what ends up what comes out of that is usually much better 
than just the five and or four individual people. See, mm-hmm. now there's the other flip of the coin where you have one person and their vision and you pretty much go with what their vision is. You're basically at that point, you're a, an employee more or less. Mm -hmm. Now there's a lot to be said for that too, because there's not a lot of arguments. There's not a lot of drama. There's not a lot of history. You just go for it. And usually those are the types of bands that go a little further, Mm -hmm. at least in the beginning. Mm-hmm. You know, those are the places that um, the bands or even the businesses, when you have a business and you're the only person, it's your vision. Mm-hmm. That's it, mm-hmm. you know. So if you're in a business and it's, you know, so-and-so and sons, well, then it's everybody's kind of like vision. Mm-hmm. So I think um, the checkered past model was always the kind of like, look, you know, there's there's no way that we're going to be able to practice enough or to get together enough um, to be able to be perfect in everything that we do. So let's just throw it out there, you know. And a lot of times it works. And and I think that's because of the, the history that we've had together, you know, of playing. Coming into the 80s as a guitar player, you spoke of uh, virtuosity, and I think that, from the late 70s into the late 80s and early 90s it was a it was a real challenge to be a guitar player if you didn't have a knack for that right right um Eddie Van Halen is considered probably the father or grandfather of modern electric guitar and I don't think I would disagree with that statement right and coming into that with a history of credence or grand funk Mm -hmm. or maybe even um and i'm you didn't mention but uh, in the same vein i'm looking at like the james gang you know joe walsh that sort of thing exactly yeah um so to go from this organic feel and and jam gets a really bad connotation because you get you know people who talk about grateful dead but you know Really, it's they're jam bands in, right. in their own way. Mm-hmm. To go into the '80s, where you have, you know, Eddie Van Halen and the hair bands of that time. Right. It was a for me. It was a real uh, breather that the '90s came along, <laughs> and 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 knocked guys like Eddie Van Halen and Nuno Betancourt and and those guys off the. Yeah. Yeah. Did you feel? Did you feel in the '80s though? Because being a little bit older than me, and and now playing at mm-hmm. that point because I really didn't start to play out until the late 90s myself right. but being in the 80s did you feel like you had to be current with that did you have to take on that that mantle yeah pretty much I mean you had to have the sound mm-hmm. that was that was frankly more important than anything I mean you had to have the sound you know the sound I'm talking yeah. about oh, yeah sure. yeah it's overdriven mm-hmm. lots of chorus lots of echo had to have that because if you didn't have that you weren't really kind of like cool enough or Mm -hmm. whatever it is that you want to talk. Um, The only thing that made me happy about stuff like that, or as you're talking about, I once saw this guy as great guitar player, at least everybody said he was. Um, 
and he was from Portage, I think. I saw him at this place in Portage, and he was playing. And man, the guy was just, he was Eddie Van Halen personified. I mean, he did um, Eruption, note for note, perfect. Sure. Yeah. And then they asked him to play, it was during a big jam session, they asked him to play Johnny Be Good. He couldn't do it. Hmm. You know, so it was kind of like, okay, so you've got that down. Right. You know, that's good. So what else can you do? Well, there's, it was a very narrow type um, view that they had back then. They all wanted to be Eddie Van Halen. What's the other one? Um, Little Wing? Remember that? Oh, uh, Stevie Ray Vaughan? Stevie Ray Vaughan. They all wanted to be Stevie Ray Vaughan, Little Wing. Every, every guitar player that I ever met that wanted to be Mr. Big Shot, he would get up and he would play Little Wing, you know? Sure. And it was like, okay, I get it, you know? Yeah. Well, because Stevie Ray Vaughan had played um, Little Wing and Voodoo Child, yeah. there's all these comparisons between Stevie Ray Vaughan and, and, and Jimi Hendrix. Right. But... Um, I, I yeah I look at I look at those I I have a hard time myself when when playing somewhere and people are like you know play Stevie Ray Vaughan well yeah it's so one dimensional yeah same could be said for Eddie Van Halen my my challenge with Eddie Van Halen and I know Eddie Van Halen's not listening to this so it won't matter my challenge <laughs> with Eddie Van Halen is I feel as though he never evolved right I think you mentioned that before yeah, yeah. he he's never he's never evolved now if you like Eddie Van Halen. And you hear him now, you'll love him just as much as you did in 1980, well, 78, right? Yeah, right. Um, because he's still doing the same thing. Right. <laughs> as he did it's back then. It's essentially the same, you know, same sort of thing. Whereas yeah. even in a three-year time period with Jimi Hendrix from, you know, 66 to 70 um, or 68 to 71, however you want to look at it, uh, he... He changed so huge, much in that four-year four time period. Huge change, yeah. The, that band of gypsies, Jimi Hendrix, was nothing like our experience, Jimi Hendrix. Right. Not not only in, in virtuosity, but also in performance, mm -hmm. you know. And I feel like musically people should should evolve. Oh. It's It's hard, though. It's hard when you are playing in a bar band yeah. and people have a certain expectation i even feel like people are more gracious with the original artist mm -hmm. than they are with the bar band covering the songs oh yeah absolutely because i've seen some bad performances through the 80s that would not fly if somebody was going to the bowling alley to see a band a no-name band play the same way that i had seen queensreich play uh-huh they uh they would never be asked back in the in the bowling alley again of course not yeah but because Queensryche was what they were <laughs> right they were allowed to uh they were they were allowed that grace to be terrible right <laughs> well that's their sound you know yeah i guess um you are an extremely creative guy oh thank you well i'm not saying this as I as cuz you could be creative and be terrible at it but well. you're <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> Unfortunately, though, that's not the case. You, dog, you you are creative and you are really good at it. Um, you write your own music. That's the story, yeah. And you also um, you also write short stories. Mm -hmm. You have a number of of creative outlets, expression, 
that 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 you that you are um you've got a faucet that's that's on all <laughs> yeah. the time yeah and when did you start when did you start first off writing music when did you start writing music um well actually the very first band um the first band was a band called Dolato don't ask me what it means because I have no idea. Nobody does. <laughs> um, and as a matter of fact, our first real four songs, we only played four songs over and over and over again. It was a band, uh, let's see, I think the name of the song was Intro. Then there was a band or a song called um, Delato. And then there was a song called Sliding Easy. Then there was a song called Outro. <laughs> now every single one of those songs was an original song. Mm -hmm. Now were they very good? I don't it, it would be great to be able to go back and listen to those again because I'm sure they were awful, but I mean um and it wasn't for anything other than necessity because we didn't know how to emulate anybody. We didn't know how to listen to a song and go, "Oh, that's an A there." You know, we had no like I said, we had no concept of what we were doing. So the, the first original song that I ever wrote was a song called Right On. <laughs> okay. And it was I, somewhere along the line. I've got, I've got the words somewhere. I don't know. Um, I also wrote a song called um, High School's a Bitch. Mm -hmm. And obviously it got a lot of attention, mostly negative attention, because I was in high school, sure. right? Sure, sure. So um, that was probably – I've – probably been writing songs now ever since um it it came to my attention that um a lot of my songs were pretty much one dimensional i a friend of mine says do you have to put the word rock and roll in every single song <laughs> and i kind of went yeah i kind of do you know um so they were not what i would call golden type songs but um, lately, and I, I don't know what this is, to make a real quick segue here, um, 2013, I, I had a heart attack. And fortunately, I survived. Otherwise, I wouldn't be talking to you now. <laughs> um, but I, I had a heart attack. And it's weird because ever since then, that faucet you talked about has been like, full on and it's weird because like all of a sudden I got all these great ideas or at least I think they're great popping out of me mm -hmm. you know um, and I just just finished now um, writing my second novel my second novel is a, a, something that's called uh, um, Missed Deadline and it's basically a modern interpretation of Faust I don't know if you're ever heard about, you know, heaven and hell and sure. saints and all that other stuff. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of a modern version of that. And um and it's I've just been kind of going full full bore with it and I don't know where that is coming from. I'm not exactly sure where the where the inspiration seem to be coming from, but they seem to be coming from everywhere. So since the heart attack in 2013, since you brought this up. Mhm. Mm do you feel an urgency after that? Oh, definitely. And so yeah. <laughs> do you feel like maybe 
that faucet is is wide open because of that urgency, that underlying urgency? I think that's part of it, yeah. yeah. How old is your son? He just turned 30, just uh, about a couple of weeks ago. And knowing that your father passed away from a heart attack, mm-hmm. knowing that you survived a heart attack, right? and being the friends that we are, I know that they're, I believe you said to me at one point you weren't supposed to survive that heart attack, or maybe you didn't at uh, one point. They brought you back. Yeah, they brought me back. I right. basically died is basically what I did. So what do you tell your son about his health? <laughs> I don't think I have to. I think he's, it, it's very interesting because he's really into health. Mm-hmm. Very, very much so. He's a weightlifter. Mm-hmm. He even has his own little weightlifting station down in his basement and everything. So um, I'm very proud of him because he basically found his own way in life. And he is still going to school on top of being a full-time worker. He's a, a, a great Great man. I'm really, really appreciative that he turned out really good. But um, what he says he wants to be is he wants to be in sports medicine. So I think he's keenly aware of health issues and that sort of thing. So I'm very thankful that it's one of those situations where I think, you know, the sins of the father, Mm -hmm. you know, don't, you know, really can affect the the son. Mm-hmm. So I think that's probably what what has happened in that respect. I think that he finally, you know, I think that as a as a human being, he kind of goes, "Geez, you know, my dad did all of this." And so I think that that really kind of helped him. You served as an inspiration to him based on how you lived your life. Or a cautionary tale. You could call it that. <laughs> yes. How much of a challenge was it to be a dad, having that dad experience cut short in your life? Yeah, it was difficult. Just like everything else, I had no idea what I was doing. None. Um, I keep thinking that I was a horrible father. I really did. I I thought I was the worst. Why? Um, I don't know. I didn't spend enough time with my son. I spent too much time with the band. At least I thought I did. Um... I'm happy to report that my son doesn't think so. At least he doesn't. He tells me, oh, you're a great dad, you know. But I I was pretty certain I was doing everything wrong, you know. And I think after talking to a lot of fathers over the years, they feel exactly the same way. It's like, I have no idea what I'm doing, you know. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know. Do I let the kids skate in the park or, do you know. Right, sure, yeah. Yeah. So I think that happens to a lot of a lot of parents, both men and women, I think moms and dads, they, they have no idea. There's no real, I wish you could open up a book and say, this is how you raise your kid. And a lot of people have tried to do that, but there's, you know, they're people. Sure. So it's hard to kind of like direct them in the ways that you'd want them to. You just run around behind them, right, <laughs> writing everything that they've knocked over. Exactly. Putting that's, everything back up and making sure that they don't go to sleep with scissors in their bed and stuff it, like that. That's it, pretty much it. That's pretty much it, yeah. I, always, I told my son, I said, I, I thought I was pretty sure that the teenage years uh, was pretty much keeping your name out of the paper, <laughs> so-and-so arrested for so-and-so. And it's like, as long as you're not arrested, I think, I think we've done okay, so... When did you leave Reedsburg? 
Uh, interesting story. Uh, I don't know how much of it I can actually tell you. Um, I was married. Uh, this was many, many years ago, so you figure this is probably 1982, maybe? Okay. Something like that. Uh, I was very poor. Both my wife and I were very, very poor. We lived up above what was then the office bar. Lovely place. Complete with bats and rats and elephants and all kinds <laughs> of other things. And drunks passing out on our front porch. Yeah, it was all kinds of fun. What is the office now? Uh, I think it's a jewelry store, I think. I think it's part of Dorn's, what used to be Dorn's. I don't know. I don't get downtown Reedsburg much. but Okay, so it's in the 200 block. Right. Okay. Right. Mm -hmm. so it was upstairs. Uh, terrible place. Uh, unfortunately, there were two apartments, and the apartment next to ours housed a gentleman, and I use the word gentleman loosely, who was known as a... Uh, was a um, a person that dabbled in pharmaceuticals. Mm -hmm. Let's just say that. Sure. Okay. Uh, unfortunately, because I lived next door to him and because I was in a band and I had long hair, and this is like the early 80s, remember? So, mm -hmm. I mean, you know, there were certain expectations. Sure. Uh, because of that, I come to find out that a lot of my comings and goings were um, uh, looked upon. Mm -hmm. um, as a matter of fact, I found this out from my mother who lived here. And uh, a lot of her friends had these things. They were called police scanners. Mm -hmm. They still have them, don't they? Yeah. 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 And um, her friends would call her and say, why are the police following your son? You know, and come to find out I was being followed everywhere. Both my wife and I were being followed um, so we figured that, you know, best course of action was to, to get out of here. So that was essentially what we did. We, we found a place together in Baraboo and we moved there and I've been pretty much living in Baraboo or Madison since I've made a couple of little, um, stops in the Dells and I think I lived in Portage for a year, but essentially Baraboo's kind of like. I, I almost consider that my hometown, even though I grew up here. I mm -hmm. love it here, but I don't know. There's just so many good and bad memories that had happened here. I just, I don't know. It's funny. You're not that far away that you can come back and see it whenever you want to. Exactly, yeah. And part of when I was 19 years old is when I moved to Madison, and I think that part of, it's the process, right? Yeah. You grow up and you move away. Yeah. Sometimes you move back, sometimes you don't. Sometimes you don't. <laughs> um, so your son came along while you were in Baraboo. Right. And right. did he only ever live his years in Baraboo then? Uh, no. Actually, come to, come to think of it, my son was actually born in Madison. Mm -hmm. My wife and I at that time were living in Madison. Mm -hmm. um, it was only for a year. And then we moved back to Baraboo. Um most of his growing up years, yes. He lived with his mom for a very short while, mm -hmm. and she lived in, I think it was uh, Lake Delton for a very short amount of time. Then they moved back to Baraboo, and I pretty much had him full time after that, so that was in Baraboo. 
So that was it all the way up until I think after he um, got done with school. I think that's when he moved up to Eau Claire, and he's been up there ever since. Is he a musician? No, oddly enough, not at all. It doesn't seem to interest him at all. He loves music, but... Were you disappointed that he didn't take it up? Uh, yes and no. I'm glad that he found his own way. Um, I wouldn't want him to go through some of the things I did, you know. There was an awful lot of drama and trouble and heartache and that sort of thing that happened <clears throat> throughout the years. So I'm kind of glad that he is his own person. I wouldn't have it any other way. I know in a lot of other musicians that are, you know, you, you can see them, they're family bands, you know. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's really cool that happens, but eventually they kind of find their own way anyway. They usually go off on their own after a while. I have a hypothesis about it. It's I, I can't prove it, and I don't know that I ever will. But I feel as though having access to music or having access to musical instruments sometimes makes it too easy, and it takes away that rebellion. It takes away that yeah that um, hunger mm -hmm. because it's there, yeah. and it's taken for granted. Right. Now, I, I could be wrong. I, I know that I have a really good friend who's a very accomplished musician, and he has a son who just recently graduated from high school, and he he is very musically inclined. Uh, he himself also grew up in a musically um, rich family, uh -huh. so music you know musical instruments were everywhere, and, and he just picked them up, and that's where it had been. And maybe some of it is based on, on your opinion of music, but I think that there's some sort of rebelliousness about it. Yeah. And if you're sneaking the guitar from your brother or if you're sneaking <laughs> the guitar from your parents or whatever, I think that you really want it then. Yeah. As opposed to one that's, you know, living in a home where there's guitars all over the place. It's like, yep. eh. And you're almost expected to do that. Yeah, I think I think you're right. You know, you wanna be different from your parents, even though to be honest with you, we probably end up being more like our parents than we want to be <laughs> in our elder age. But I mm -hmm. think, yeah, I think that's definitely it. I think that there's a rebellious sort of uh, thing that goes on with people. You know, they, they want to be their own people. That's why I'm glad my son is doing his own thing. I'd rather have it do it. Maybe if he comes to music at some point, or maybe, you know, if someday he has a child, you know, maybe they'll go to it. I hope so. You know, music, if if I may be, there's something, by the way, I don't know how much time we got. All the time you want. Okay. There's something I have to say, by the way. I want to get something off my chest. I just wanted to say, okay. First of all, um, I'm really jealous, extremely jealous. I'm envious. I'm green-eyed lady jealous i am jesse's girl jealous envious that's pretty thick yeah i know and and it's it's about your band about you know that jaco mccluskey guy and and i tell you that i happen to think that jaco is um well he's he's kind of turned out to be the kind of musician that that i have 
turned to hate all these years. And let me let me explain that is that um, you know I mean you know first of all he's he's really talented, um, extremely fun to watch, um, good guitar player, great guitar player, great singer. Uh, and let's face it, I mean, he's a very, very nice looking young man. You could put him on a postage stamp right next to Elvis. So, <laughs> you know, I think, you know, that just irritates the snot right out of me. Not only that, but he also gets, um, uh, his backup band is, you know, yourself and Scott Erickson, which I think are two of the most accomplished local musicians. Um, so I mean... And the guy is just outstanding. So I just, I'm so, so envious. Just green. Actually, I'm kidding. The truth is I'm just kidding about that. I really am. I just, I wanted to bring it up because of what you were talking about, about kids and Mm -hmm. about music. I know that you've done a lot of things, for example, with young people and with the songwriting thing and Baraboo and all the rest of that. And I feel that, unfortunately, enough of us musicians haven't done enough to pass the torch to young people who really want, you know, to play music. And I I mean, play good music. Um, You know, and when I when I see Jayco up there, it's it's really kind of rewarding to see him doing that because he's young and he's full of spit and vinegar and by golly you know he does a good job and we need more of that we need more young people to get up there and start you know performing music because when you think about it i get to tell you about all of the heroes that i have in music you know we're talking you know bob dylan and and the band and Jerry Garcia and, you know, all of these great, rich musicians. Mm -hmm. And who do kids have to look up to nowadays? Who have they got? Sure. Yeah, you know. So I think that we really need to do a better job uh, to try and get more people interested, more young people interested in, you know, doing the music thing. So I, I just wanted to say that. I read something recently that said that Taylor Swift is responsible for more young people buying guitars than anybody else right now. Well, God bless her, I guess. Well, <laughs> if 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 that's what it is to to get instruments into the hands of kids, I guess that's what it is. Yeah. It's it's the it's the ebb and the flow, right? Right. I agree with you totally that music is at the point now where it needs to reinvent itself. Mm-hmm. Now, my mom was a big Elvis Presley fan. Yeah. Even bigger fan of uh, Little Richard. She loved Little Richard. Uh-huh. Part of the reason why rock and roll was what it was for kids of that era is because it was scary for adults yeah, and it was a rebellion. Yeah. So when Jerry Lee Lewis, who is probably not the greatest guy, right? Let's be uh, gentlemen, honest. No, no I'm not, I'm, <laughs> in the, in the, in the humanity department, not so bad though. <laughs> but he struck a chord with the youth, right? Mm-hmm. Parents knew that he was no good kids didn't care right 
and and so we move forward into the the era of the Beatles, mm-hmm. right? Beatles were kind of okay for people to like. Rolling Stones were not so much, right? Oh, yeah. was... So it was one of those things again. Rock and roll was kind of scary. These guys over there in Britain were making this happen, and their heroes were, you know, blues men who yeah. still carried a knife in their boot, right? Right. Then into the 70s, where the drug culture was really starting to turn sour, right? Like after Altamont yeah, with the Rolling Stones again. You know, now you've got guys like Led Zeppelin where there's stories about them on the road, you know, with very young girls. Sharks. <laughs> Sharks, Sharks, yes. I don't <laughs> In get Washington, that. yeah. yeah. And, and, but then you also have... Um, you know, Black Sabbath, who everybody assumed they were all Satan worshipers, <laughs> yeah. right? And so every era has this, right? And I'm going to stop there because yeah, ad nauseum, right? Yeah. All the way up to, to Marilyn Manson, say. Mm-hmm. There isn't that right now. No. Now, maybe there is because I'm not fully aware. Maybe you could say it's Lady Gaga, but I don't know that that's necessarily true. Yeah. Um, I think that she shook things up, but she wasn't scary. Right. And so I'm going to take this back to that Jayco thing for a number of reasons. One, somebody will discover Jayco. Yeah. And when they do, there's going to be one seat empty on the plane. <laughs> it's not going to be three seats. Yeah. It's going to be, Jake, we're going to fly you out to Los Angeles Mm-hmm. And here's Scott and I like the crickets. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, we're going to be the ones playing supper clubs going, yeah, we used to play this yeah, one with Jayco. Yeah. Let's go. <laughs> so I let's, remember back in the day. Let's be clear about that one. <laughs> okay. Uh, he has he has that element of danger to him. Yeah. I'm on the stage with him, and a lot of what I see in the audience is pure lust. Mm-hmm. Adoration, lust, yeah. From women, from girls, from boys, even from men. There's something about him that that draws that out. And when most Americans are very conservative, as oh, you know, yeah. comparative yeah. to to European people. And it's becoming even worse. I mean, we're, yeah. <laughs> agreed. So when they when when they experience these feelings, now they're scared. Mm-hmm. He has that element of danger to him. Right. Knowing him personally, which is different than knowing the performance, Jaco. Right. And you've met him a number of times. And oh spoken yeah. To him. Yeah, Mr. Polite. He's, he is a he's, sweetheart. He's awesome. He really is. Very, very nice, polite, yeah. Man. I have um I have traveled miles with him. I've slept in the same room with him. Um, that's not an act. Yeah. And maybe I shouldn't say that because it maybe would detract from his uh dangerous. Persona. Yeah. But it's not an act. He calls his mother every night mm-hmm. when he's not home. He uh he gets his parents' approval on his lyrics for his yeah. songs. I mean, he's, he's, he's that kind of young man. Um, and he's, but on the stage, he's a monster. Yeah. And there was a very short period of time where he considered another bass player. He wanted an upright bass player, and he 
auditioned a guy and it seemed to be working out and I was really uh disappointed during that time period I gotta tell you I really was because I I just enjoyed it I enjoyed it a lot it didn't work out there were some personality conflicts and the chemistry wasn't exactly there um and so he came to me and and apologized he apologized to me he didn't need to right he could have just come to me and say yeah yeah it didn't work out so are you available for tuesday but he actually made it a point to come to my home brought me food (laughs) (laughs) and apologized to me and i thought the you know the the rock and roll machinery is going to chew this kid up i am worried about that too um but I have yet, in all of the years that I've played with people older than me, younger than me, same age, I can't honestly say that I've come across somebody who is the entire package the way that he is. Yeah. There have been elements mm-hmm. in many people. Um, there's a young man, Dakota Newstater, who plays country music. Oh, yeah. I've I've heard about him. Very talented of... young man. Yeah. Very talented. But, um, but there's still that... That one more, mm-hmm. that one little bit extra. Can Dakota have a career in music? Absolutely. He's oh, talented. Yeah. He's a good songwriter, great singer, um, very good guitar player. In the right hands, he could have a he could have a lucrative career. Yeah, in the right hands. In the That's right hands. That's important. Exactly. Um, Jake can do it without anybody. Mm-hmm. And and you know as well as I do, that's attractive. Yeah. It is. That's attractive. And and though you don't mean it this way, <laughs> because I, I, I know this and love this of you, your, your self-effacing way. Oh, <laughs> okay. <laughs> though you don't mean it this way, there are many people, though, who are straight up jealous of him. Oh, yeah? Really? Straight up jealous of him, though every single one of them would step over their own mother to play with him. Oh, yeah, of course. You know? And, and it's, it is what it is in the sense that, you know, there's only one guy like him. Which is good. Yeah, maybe. Um, No, it is. It's very good. I had a um, lady friend of mine. She said, you know, the thing of it is with him, he has that, he has a sound. Mm -hmm. That's all his. And I think that is very important because when you hear him you know it's him right you know so he has his own way so you're right i agree and it manages to he can he can perform at a place that's never seen him before to people who have never seen him before and he can captivate them for four hours yeah with songs they've never heard before Uh uh-huh i've never experienced that yeah i tried when i was a songwriter to do that and you might catch people with a song here or there, 20 mm-hmm. minutes, they'll sit and they'll listen to you and then they'll move on. Yeah. I never experienced it with somebody who came in with the confidence to say, these are the songs I'm going to play. They're my songs. And and it, it works. Yeah. It's pretty incredible. Well, see, way back in the day, I always said, you know, so what we have to do is we have to sneak an original in there somewhere between two songs that everybody knows because then they won't, they won't know that they're hearing an original Mm -hmm. but with him it's different because you go there expecting to hear original music which is great that's another big positive point right there when you were playing when you were playing these songs that you're talking about when you started out you know in the in the 80s let's say in the 70s you're mostly a kid but when you were actually getting out there and playing 
what was the what was the general expectation for a band at at a place like the bowling alley or at a local bar? What was their expectation of you? <laughs> to ring the cash register. And how many hours of cash register ringing? <laughs> Four big hours of cash register ringing. And I guess, honestly, I don't think the bar owners really cared all that much. I really, honestly, I, there was a few people that were like fans of ours. You know, mm-hmm. they would say, oh, you guys are great, and all the rest of that, which was always rewarding. Mm-hmm. But to be honest with you, um, if you didn't ring the cash register, you wouldn't be back. So I think that was the most important thing. I once played at a bar and a lady told me she had actually had it down to the amount of beers that she would have to sell, how many tappers she would have to sell to pay for the band. Sure. You know, and if she didn't make that, you know, basically you were out. <laughs> Did you feel responsible for bringing a crowd in? Yeah. Yeah, it was kind of a, I think I think that's one of the the problems that we have nowadays. We still have people that are kind of stuck in that weird mentality, especially, you know, um, I don't know how it is in other places in the country, but I know how it is here. Mm -hmm. And it's really strange because first of all, they start, they start shows at nine o'clock at night and they go until like bar time almost, which Mm -hmm. is ridiculous. Mm -hmm. You know, nobody stays out that late anymore. So, um, there's an expectation that, they're not going to advertise and you're going to have to bring in your friends and your friends will have to bring in other friends and all this other stuff. This is a, it's expensive nowadays to advertise. It's, sure. It's a lot of money, mm-hmm. you know, to put an ad in the paper that maybe somebody will read, somebody won't, you know, so they pretty much expect you to be doing the, the legwork, mm-hmm. you know, and sometimes that doesn't even work either. It's, it's too there's too many things going on. I mean, there's it's it's really hard to get a crowd of people together. Now, <laughs> if I may be super cynical, I'm I'm sorry about this, but um, I think it was a couple of years ago when Checkered Past was playing. We were playing up on Castle Rock Lake, mm-hmm. and. I'm not going to mention the place that we played at, but the place that we played at was having this big outdoor festival. And there was a lot of people there, you know, there were campers and stuff like that. And it was really strange because during the day there was, you know, they had these little juggling contests. Then as the night wore on, they had a best buns contest. Mm -hmm. And then at the end of the night, they had a wet t-shirt contest. Well, by golly, that place was packed. I mean, you couldn't even move. There were so many people there. Sure. And I remember Mike Litwin basically saying, this is all we need. We just need girls in wet T-shirts, and <laughs> we'll have a crowd every single place that we play. So um, I know that sounds real cynical, but I think that's the game nowadays, you know? And, it, and it's kind of sad that it's like that because, again, you know, a lot of people don't go out, and they don't want to drink you know, there's too many drink driving laws, and mm-hmm. I agree with them. I don't think that it's good to be out, you know, imbibing if you're driving. I think that's a bad idea. Um, so, yeah, I, I I think nowadays it's a completely different game, and I think a lot of club owners aren't getting the message, which is, you know, I think they have to look at things 
differently now than what they looked at before. It's no longer the 80s or the 90s or even the 2000s, mm -hmm. you know. Mm -hmm. So I think that's, that's um, but as far as like expecting people to bring us, you know, to bring a big crowd in, yeah, that was kind of like an expectation for sure. I think that it's our generation lump us in together because I, I got into music at a very young age. I think it's our generation that still holds live music precious. Uh -huh. And so bands that I've gone to see, um, you know, outside of national touring acts, of course, right. bands that I've gone to see have all been my age or older in attendance. Yeah because that's still a special thing for them. And I don't know that it's a special thing for a younger generation anymore. No. And that's what I mean. We've got to get young people involved in music. Maybe not to go to the bars per se, but, you know, to get involved in live music, to go see it again. You know? Sure, Experience sure. it. It's so much better when it's live than it's just recorded. I think it's silly that that a lot of musicians are now pinning themselves on music that they record in their own little studios you know mm -hmm. they need to get out there and 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 it's all about being live so yeah well i i don't know that this is true or not but my viewpoint on it is that it's the uh it's the artistic circle from inception creation presentation and then acceptance yes yeah there's many points in between of course that i'm kind of glossing over but i don't i don't this is as a performing musician I feel like it's incomplete until you've presented it to somebody and mm -hmm. exactly, you know, and acceptance doesn't necessarily mean acceptance. Like they love it, but you know, like they've seen it, they've witnessed it. Yeah. They've witnessed it. It's the old, uh, painting analogy. You know, the painting isn't done until it's hung, hmm. you know? So it's, a, I think that's an old French type thing. <laughs> <laughs> I want to talk now about your, your solo music career which you are well into at this point, probably three years straight now. You've Some done solo I gigs know. over the years, but right now you've been doing more solo gigs than anything else, I would say. Would that be right? That's right. exactly right. And you're going by the name of Lonesome Dale. Right. Which... Uh, you had... Uh, sorry, go ahead. Uh, tell me a little bit about that. Well, you guys had a lot of fun with that the other uh, here a few weeks ago. I, we I, did. Yeah, it's because that's because we like you. Yeah, I know. I know. It's cool. <laughs> you only hurt the ones you love. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it hoids. Um, so actually, the name Lonesome Dale was actually um, our friend Scott. Mm -hmm. He was the guy that pretty much gave me that that um, that moniker. And it came from high school, you see. And apparently back in high school, now, I don't remember this, and I, I'm vehemently denying it, but personally, Scott said that uh, there were a lot of young ladies that used to hang out uh, around my locker. And um, apparently, you know, Scott would say, oh, there's poor Lonesome Dale once again surrounded <laughs> by girls, you know, ah, boo-hoo. And I think it was a, you know, originally it was that. Um, I've kind of had the moniker for a while. Um, 
as you know, for a while I called myself Dr. Dale because mm -hmm. I'm also a PC technician. Mm -hmm. So that's where the whole doctor thing came from. Unfortunately, there's an awful lot of doctor peoples. <laughs> there's, you know, there is. There's a lot of people that call themselves Dr. This or Dr. That. Mm -hmm. So, and not only that, but in all reality, I, I, I kind of like the, especially for the solo type stuff, I kind of thought, you know, lonesome is is more country-ish. Mm -hmm. I actually thought about changing my name a couple of times, but I'm very proud of my family heritage. So last name is Gladell. So that's, it's an old, that's a French name, mm -hmm. you know, so mm -hmm. I'm kind of proud of that. I don't really want to lose that. Never really cared much for the name Dale. If you've ever noticed, all people named Dale in the movies are either, um, uh, they're, they're killers or they're bug killers or, well, you know, there's Dale Jr. and Dale Sr. So those are the only people I get to pin my hopes on that are that are kind of like you know looked up upon there are no i've always said there's uh no superheroes by the name of dale none whatsoever you can look all over the place they're not around i'll take your word for that I, yeah i'm having a hard time coming up with one right now see yeah. not even a not even an alias you know i mean we had bruce wayne and you know all the rest of them you know but yeah, yeah. no dales not a one not a stinking one so I kind of decided to stick with the name Dale and, and I decided to stick with the name Lonesome because it's different than a lot of other people. Um, also, there's several different songs with the words Lonesome in it, so I kind of like that, you know. Oh, Lonesome Me. Uh, one that's, of my, your, that's your shtick. That's the shtick, yeah. Whoa, Lonesome Me, yeah. Uh, Lonesome Henri in Blue. That's that's one of my favorite. I actually do that in the in the show, so so that's where kind of like the name kind of stuck. I, you know, it's it's not it's not my persona. It's not who I am, but it's kind of the name, and I'm kind of hoping it'll stick with it. Um, it's kind of funny because you know I played the the Bob Fest here a couple of months ago mm -hmm. at Spring Green. And a lot of people really got kind of got uh, got tickled by the fact that I've got Lonesome Dale on my guitar. I've I've actually, you know, got letters and it sure. spells out Lonesome Dale, and it's pretty interesting because a lot of people actually like that. And um, me and my lady friend, we were in a uh, in an establishment after the show. We we're having a couple of drinks and. A lady and her boyfriend walk in and they say, oh, are you Lonesome Dale? And it was like, <laughs> yes, yes, I am. As a matter of fact, I am. So, um, you know, I I think that's, uh, I'm going to stick with that for now. I mean, it's, uh, <laughs> I don't mean to make it sound like poor old me because I'm not that. I'm all, I'm a lot happier than I ever used to be as a kid or anything, but yeah, Lonesome Dale works. Well, it definitely rolls off the tongue pretty easily. That's the idea. Solo performances, do you find them enjoyable? Yes, very much. Are they rewarding? I think so. I get to play the songs that I like to do. I get to play my own originals, which I like. Um, I like playing around with stuff. Um, I'm a little concerned because I'm not really a coffee house type of performer. 
I don't know if I'll ever be like a background type, you know, performer, somebody that just does little melodic chords in the back corner. I'm one of those guys that I guess I like the, the attention. Mm -hmm. So you'll hear me wail away at some sort of point. So, um, I enjoy that. I enjoy being able to take songs and kind of mold them the way I want to, which is kind of interesting. Mm -hmm. I'm playing around with the idea of uh, doing backing tracks. Um, the backing tracks would be all me. Mm -hmm. So I would, you know, play the instruments and then I would also play me playing the instruments and play along to those. Mm -hmm. So I've been kind of playing around with that idea maybe as part of the show i don't know um yeah i mean it's a it's definitely a different vibe um i it, given my druthers i would play in a band because of that that whole machine thing you mm -hmm. know it's much more enjoyable but until that happens i'm gonna do this and i i kind of like it and i'm not only that but I'm also to the age now where it's, and I kind of hate sounding like the old man of the sea, right? But I hate the idea of coming home at four o'clock in the morning. I just, <laughs> you know, it scares the junk right out of me. I, I, it's just bad, you know? And I'm, I'm not the kind of guy who can, I, I just, I want to do my thing and I don't want to hang out and I want to drink after the show or anything like that. You know, mm -hmm. I just, I want to do my best job that I can and I want to, you know, skedaddle. So, um, doing the solo thing, I think allows me to do that. Um, maybe call this a coda, the end of my music career, maybe. The supper club thing is pretty rewarding, really. Yeah. And you can get done, you know, 1030 at night Yeah, <laughs> and, and be in your own bed. Mm -hmm. And it does give you a window of opportunity to be entertaining uh -huh. and not just background music. Right. Depending upon where you're playing, of course. Of course. Um, so there are some, some huge benefits to that. I, I, I totally get it. Mm -hmm. I don't know that I myself have the... I'm not fishing for a compliment by saying this. I know. I don't know that I myself have the ability to hold the room's attention for two, three hours right. as one person. Do you practice that? Do you practice your your between song banter? Do you practice your performance not just your mu your musical performance, not just the songs. Of course you practice those. Yeah. But do you practice your stage persona also you mean the little patter in between that sort of thing sure yeah absolutely you kind of almost have to i wouldn't say it's not like i have a script you mm -hmm. know you know because people would be able to see right through that sure. and now ladies and gentlemen please welcome you know right, right. you don't want nothing like that mm -hmm. but you know there's there's definitely I, I basically have outlines of things that I want to talk about in between songs, or this is the story of this song, mm -hmm. or this song was written by so-and-so, or this song is about this or that, you know? Um, there's a couple of things that I like to do um, in between 
or during a song too. So, you know, there may be a little patter in between, like in the, in the solo section, instead mm-hmm. of doing a solo part, you'd say something, you know, you would talk about a little tale or you would have a bad joke, you know, that sort of thing, you know? So, um, yeah, I think that it's kind of important to have an idea where you're going. Um, flying off the cuff is really nice, but anybody that does public speaking will tell you that's a horrible idea (laughs) and I ain't going to bring politics into it, but I think that we know a certain president that might be doing things like that. And I think it's a horrible idea not to follow a certain script, you know, just to say things right off the cuff. You can definitely tell. You can definitely tell when someone is able to go off script yeah. and someone is not. Right. <laughs> I, I feel like when I'm, when I'm, I'm probably too critical of my own performances. When I go and see somebody perform, I'm pretty gracious. I know that it's not easy to get up right. there and do it. And I know that when they're up there performing and they're asking people, so where are you from? And stuff like that. And right. they're getting lukewarm responses. I mean, my heart goes out to them uh-huh. because I, I know that not every gig is going to be that, uh, not every gig is going to have that Madison square garden feel. Of course. Yeah. You know, and, and more often than not, <laughs> they don't, right. right. You know, but that, that doesn't stop you from performing at your best. Right. So I really do feel for people who who do it, and you know they don't always you know they don't always land on their feet. No. I see it, but I I have wondered when it comes to solo performance, I very 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 rarely do it. I usually yeah. have another person with me just because I think that it's interesting for the listener yeah. to hear another voice. I agree to hear two instruments, that sort of thing. So I have nothing but respect for guys like yourself. Derek Romnerace was in here recently. He's another one that that yeah. does it solo a lot of times. Uh, I don't know if you're familiar with Brad Palmer. He's another one who's a he's from the Portage area, and he he does a lot of solo performance in the area. Or uh, Brian Beebe is another oh, one. Brian that, Beebe, of course. Well, yeah. Brian, of course, though, is a He's, encyclopedia of music he, in his he brain. He is a jukebox. That man is truly amazing. I, yeah. But I, 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 I love to watch people who can captivate an audience, or hold their attention as just one person. I yeah. think that's, I think that's a huge talent. Yeah, I think you should be commended for being able to do that. Well, thank you. Um, I, I guess it's better than sitting. Uh, uh, to quote Mr. Scott W. Harrison, it's better than sitting at home and watching the History Channel. I think that's the way he puts it. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah uh, stemming from the heart attack in 2013 sure what would you say is your quality of life at this point and would you say that that's changed because of that experience mm. or do you think that it's just a different quality of life now for you because you're older and you have a different uh, appreciation for things. Well, you, you can't you can't have a heart attack. You can't go through a major medical thing without having new appreciation for life. There's just no way. You don't have a heart if you don't. You know, colors seem brighter. Uh, paintings are vibrant. 
sunsets seem better. Um, you start listening to people more. You start noticing people more. You, mm -hmm. you know, it's like you may, if you're the type of person that just kind of, you know, wanders through a crowd, you know, you start looking at people's faces and all of that stuff kind of makes you appreciative of life and what has gone on thus far and what you hope to accomplish. So my, I, I think it's a little bit of both. I think that being older <laughs> allows you to um, look back at things with a lot of perspective. You know, when I was young, um, this is a, this is a classic, classic example of being jealous. When I was young, I used to go and see people uh, in bands, like local artists and stuff like that. So when I was a teenager, I, you know, I'd go and listen to these guys. And I remember if the guitar player was good, I would walk away just fiercely jealous. It'd be like, you know, I'd go home and that's it. I'm never going to be a good guitar player in my life, you know, and all mm -hmm. that other nonsense. And so what's weird is, is that now that I'm older and I see people that are really good, I really appreciate them. I appreciate the amount of effort that they put in and the, the talent that they have. It makes me feel good when I hear people play well, you know, which is a completely different vibe of what used to be when I was young. So when you're older, you get a much bigger perspective of the world and how things work and how people work and everything's not so doggone black and white, you know. You can see the differences in colors and shades. But I also having the heart attack definitely gave new impetus to, to you know, live as good of a life as you can, you know. Try not to get so hung up on, but I still do, you know, I'm still human. I still, if I have a bad day at work and somebody gives me, you know, crap about a, a system that isn't working, you know, I do. I get, you know, I still get upset and stuff, but... It's funny because now it doesn't seem to be as difficult as it was back when I was younger. Did your level of did your level of uh, screw it? <laughs> yeah. After the heart attack change. Uh yeah, definitely. My I recently heard um, so this lady friend of mine I. I really enjoy her because it's nice to be able to have adult conversations about stuff like this. She's younger than me. She's your age. And it's funny because she was talking about how, how she feels so stupid some days, you know, some days she says, I just feel dumb. It's like, I can't, you know, I can't get this. And she's worried that she's losing her, you know, whatever, you know, her cognitive skills. Exactly. Mm -hmm. You know, and it's kind of like I'm looking at her going, oh, girl. you <laughs> Just wait till you go to the bathroom and can't remember why you walked in there. <laughs> exactly. It's kind of like <laughs> I came in here for a reason. Well, I don't know. So, yeah, it's it's it gives you an, a big perspective on, you know, don't get so hung up on things. Um, you know, I still am a passionate guy. I still believe in certain things. I'm passionate about politics and music and love and all the rest of those things. But, you know, when it comes to 
a lot of things these days. It's kind of silly to just get so hung up on it. Do you find that you have to throw some cold water on yourself and remember this isn't the big thing anymore? Yeah, yeah, definitely. How do you handle this? How do you handle being scared? How do you handle the fear? <laughs> See the guitar over there? <laughs> That's pretty much it. That's been my go to, I think. Seriously. Um, music is pretty much it. I always got music, like, I, I don't know if it's like this for you, but do you have music up in your head all the time? Every waking moment. Exactly. You know, there's always something, you know, a little midget that you heard a little, a little bit off the radio or something, and all of a sudden this stuff is playing in your head, you know? Mm -hmm. um, that kind of keeps me grounded, and there are nights that I wake up in the middle of the night so scared because I, I you know, can feel my heart, you know, mm -hmm. thump, 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 and I'm thinking, oh, this is it. This is the big one. I'm going now. Bye, mm -hmm. you know. But I always remember that I got the little tune up in my head, and as long as that music is playing, I feel better. Music got you through being orphaned by your father. Yeah. Music got you through some trying times in your life, it sounds like. Of course. It's the, um, uh, what were they? Fog Hat. They had a song. When I was stone blue, rock and roll sure helped me through. And that's the truth. Is there anything we haven't talked about that you would like to? Uh, yeah, I would actually like to perform a song. What do you think? Yeah. Can, can I do it? Let's go ahead and do it. Are you, are you sure? Are you, uh, I, it's um. So you you mentioned how. Uh, here, I'll just grab this, okay? Yeah, grab it. All right. I don't know. Can you hear me? Yeah. Okay. No feedback. No, no, no. Okay. I'll take care of the engineering. I'm sure you will. Okay, so. Um, this is one of the songs that I've been thinking about doing uh, recently. And one of the one of the things I would like to do is I would like to be able to uh, release a CD. I know that you released a CD not too long ago. Am I correct? Yeah, I did. I, I had a bunch of um, odds and ends songs that I finally finished up and, and put out. I, I didn't really do anything all that fancy. Oh, I don't know. I mean, you were in the... You, you were in the paper and the whole nine yards. It was very, very... Yeah, it was a lot of to-do. Um, comparative to other uh, releases that a lot of people have done, though, it's it, it really... I just kind of went under the radar with it. <laughs> well, I, I think you're being too modest, but eh. I, I think that it takes a lot of a lot of oomph to be able to produce a CD. Unfortunately, CDs nowadays just, they don't sell. I mean, yeah, it, yeah. Actually, as far as CD pressing is concerned, yeah. I wouldn't say that I released the CD because there wasn't any actual product. I just had a, a, a recording release. I guess I could, I don't know how you would say it. Yeah. It uh, album available or something. It wasn't an actual physical album. Well, I'm hoping to release, um, a physical album, but I think this is going to be the last one that I do, which is, um, the name of it's called, the uh, uh, the whole shebang is what it's called. <laughs> and it's, 
it started out, it, it morphed a lot throughout the last couple of years. And originally I was going to have like 23, 24 songs. Now I think I'm going to go like more like 17 or 18 songs. It's still a lot. But I think what I'm going to do is that after the release of this, I'm going to start doing online type things. Now that in itself is another discussion where you have to find a aggregate and you have to find somebody that, that will, you know, put it on their servers, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. They have to, you know, get money for it and you have to belong to ASCAP or BMI or one of the other music companies. And, and, and it can be very, very difficult. So, um, so I don't know if this will actually be on the album part of it or if it'll be on the online version. Um, we talked earlier about country, right? So um, this is kind of, I, I play around with country music just because I'm trying just to be cute, I guess. Um, and so this is kind of like my ode uh, to the country song, and, and it's actually called... Um, a bad country song, so, right? Just tighten it up so I can get the level. Sing a little bit so I can get your level on that. Perfect. Good. Start when you're ready. Okay. Bad country song, somebody was wrong. Y'all sing along, cause you know how it feels. Well, the book still hurt as the singer asserts that it ain't no big deal. Where nights so short now seem long, where the feelings are deep as the whiskey is strong. I hope I could love and don't end up as a bad country song. We met where they find love, oh, in all the wrong places. Cowboy dancing, slow dancing, and long lonely faces. Your kisses taste like slow gin fizzes. I asked you your name, you said, mind your own business. I hope I could love and don't end up as a bad country song. You told me you don't really care that much for NASCAR. But you dig jet skis, ATVs, and fast cars. Said the driver sucks when the horn dog blows. Instead of violins, I've been hearing banjos. I hope I can love and don't end up as a bad country song. A bad country song. Somebody was wrong. Y'all sing along, cause you know how it feels. Well, the lyrics still hurt as the singer asserts that it ain't no big deal. For nights so short now seem long, well, the feelings are deep as the whiskey is strong. 
I hope I just love and don't end up as a bad country song. A little guitar. It's a little guitar. Country girl who loves Jake, Justin, Jason, and Chesney. But your car radio is cranked to Pantera and Remy. Your girlfriends love you, you call them your bitches. The last band you had, you done left him in stitches. I hope I can love and don't end up as a bad country song. I must admit that this country life surely has its charms. I wonder if a mullet would do my career any harm. A bad country song, somebody was wrong. Y'all sing along, cause you know how it feels. Well, the lyrics still hurt as the singer asserts that it ain't no big deal. Nights so short now seem long, where the feelings are deep as the whiskey is strong. I hope I can love and don't end up. I hope I can love and don't end up. I hope I can love and don't end up as a bad country song. How, how, how. How, how, how. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, that was pretty awesome. Thank you. That's very nice of you to say that. Here's that dollar. <laughs> that was about as fine a song as uh, as I've ever heard from you. That was uh, that that's was scary. really diverse. Oh, that's pretty scary. <laughs> and you and you never once even mentioned the word rock and roll. I didn't. Isn't that odd? Wow. You purposely sidestepped that one, didn't I you? I did. I did. What do you plan to do with the things that you have written? Um, record them. I hope. I my hope is. Okay, I honestly believe that there is somewhere out there, I believe that there's a niche market out there for songs that I write. Now I realize I'm just kind of doing this in the blind. I have no idea. But I get the feeling that there are people that are my age, our age, that would like music that's kind of like, you know, good listening, good rock music that is not, um, you know, I... Let's face it, it's hard for me to, or probably hard for you to, to understand anything about young people today because all the music today is about the club, you know? <laughs> We're going out to the club. Sure. But there are no clubs here, and we don't frequent them. So, I mean, it's really kind of hard to, uh, to understand any of that. So, 
I I think that's why I think it's very possible for for somebody like me maybe to get a niche. All it takes, you know, it's just one song. That's mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. And to be honest with you, to, this is my exclusive. All I've ever really wanted is one gold record. That's it. That's all I've wanted. I used to want to be rich and famous, but are you kidding me? I wouldn't want to. Be, I wouldn't be rich and famous these days. <laughs> they shoot you now, so no, absolutely not. Um, so I just want one gold record. So I'm kind of hoping maybe somewhere along the way somebody might hear one of my songs and go, "Oh, that's kind of clever. That's kind of fun." You know, maybe somebody else could record it. You know. I'm I'm very open to other people performing my music. I as a matter of fact for me that's almost a compliment. Mm-hmm. It is a compliment. Mm-hmm. Um so I'm kind of hoping maybe somewhere in the future somewhere in the deep dark distant future maybe that will happen. And if it doesn't, I've been having a whale of a time anyway. So that's I, I, you know, it's that thing. Just one gold record, man. Just one gold record. That's all I want. <laughs> you're going to pare 25 songs down to 16, and then you're going to say this is it. Uh, No, I'm not going to say this is it. From, that, from now on, I'm going to only release it, I think, digitally, just because I think the, the time of CDs, I think, is probably over. I think that... um. I kind of did a little pre-release. It had, uh, what was it, like eight songs on it, of the first eight songs of this little. And I, I actually sold it at a price point that I figured would, would do well. $3. Okay. Three little dollars. Sure. Had minimal uh, graphics on it, that sort of thing. So it didn't cost very much. It was a very low cost point. And I figured at $3, somebody would like look at it and go, oh, this is kind of interesting. Yeah, I'll buy that. Now, to be honest, I sold over 60 of them. Wow. Yeah, wow. But we need another two, three, four zeros after that. <laughs> you know? Where did you have them for sale? Uh, actually, in, in some of the music stores around here. Um, uh, what is it, uh, the music store that's in the Dells? Weeby Jam and Music? Yeah, okay. Yeah, Mojo Music. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and at, of course, the Bearable Music Store. It's always, you know, Andy's always really cool to deal with. Yeah, Andy's great. Um, across the street at the Spin Shack, um, there was a couple of other places that I had um, my CD for sale. Oh, at uh, the general store in um, okay. in Spring Green. A couple of other places locally. But like I said, probably the most I ever sold was, was about 60 of them. So... But it was not anywhere near what I was kind of hoping for. You know, I was hoping for a couple of hundred. And 60 is not bad, but, you know. And after talking to a lot of other people, they essentially the same thing. They said, you know, CDs are, nobody does CDs anymore. They don't, no. even, they don't even put CD players anymore in cars. No. No, that's just a, it's just a connection to your device now. Right. You probably got a good return from people at the, at the, um, the, the general store. Yeah, yeah. That's probably because there's some artistic people who come and go through there. There is. You have to deal with professional jealousy in music shops. Yeah, I noticed that. What is that all about? I don't understand that. <laughs> Very much like you, 
I approached music competitively when I was younger. Yeah. And I've learned as I'm older, one of my favorite phrases, it's not mine, uh, comparison is the thief of joy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's right. That's, that's As I've started to play with more musicians and started to appreciate musicians, various musicians, even people that I never thought that I would play with, I then got a little bit more... Um, I then got a little less competitive. Yeah. And like you, if I was on a three-band ticket... It was, um, we're going to murder them. Yeah, we're, we're just, it. we're going to, we're, yeah, we're, we're going <laughs> to yeah. show them. Yeah. They, they, <laughs> you know, they better be grateful that they're on before we are. You bet. We're, we're going to leave blood on the stage. <laughs> um, and I don't, I don't, I don't have, now I approach things as I'm going to play my best. Right. I'm going to do my best. If my best happens to be different from everybody else, then that's just what it's at. It's not, you know, hey, I'm going to do this because we're going to be better than those guys. It's, you know, I'm going to give you the best performance that I can give you. I think that there's still a lot of people who are in that vicious cycle of I've got to be better than everybody else or I've got to be better than this person. I've got to be better than that person. Sure. If you have the benefit of having musicians come to any of your shows, mm-hmm. if you've not experienced this yet, you will. Oh, oh yeah. I'm, well, mm-hmm. let me let me put it this way. Keep this in mind. I'm sure that you've experienced this. Um, you maybe haven't realized it. If you have a musician who's at one of your shows and you walk up to them and you say, "Hey, Phil, mm-hmm. it's great to see you here. Got the night off, huh?" <laughs> Their response will not be, yeah, I do, and I thought I'd come down and see you. Mm -hmm. Their response will be, yeah, but I just got done doing five shows (laughs) here, there, or the other. Yeah, I was on a nine-show stretch, and I got the night off. Oh, man. (laughs) It's always, you know, what I did or Uh, what I'm going to do. Right. Nobody wants to be the guy that's, you know, yeah, here it is Saturday night, and I'm not playing anywhere. Yeah, that's right. They, I don't know if they think it, it's it's that it takes away their legitimacy <laughs> or what. I have experienced it with with all kinds of musicians. Admittedly, I'm a fairly introverted guy. We're mm-hmm. in my home right now, yeah, and you and yeah. I have known each other for. Well, you got involved with Altered Ego not long after your heart attack. Yeah. So, that was right. you know, so, almost five years, right? That is, yeah. And um, so that's, you know, in, in the realm of, of human connections, it's, it's a fairly long time. So we've known sure. each other a long time. I have a real hard time going out and seeing music. Oh, yeah. Um, because. I play a fair amount. I'm the one of those guys. Yeah, I was just playing five. Games. No, yeah. I, I play a fair amount. And <laughs> going out then to see somebody else, it has to really be worth it. Right. Um, and that's not laying on the shoulders of the performer. That's that's me. That's my own idiocy. Yeah. But the fact of the matter is, if if I'm going out to see somebody, then you know. It's it's every it's just like pulling teeth for me to get into the car and go and see them. <laughs> so I don't have a problem 
with somebody saying, hey, you know, you, you, you came. It's great to see you. I don't have a problem with saying, yeah, you know, I didn't have anything going on tonight. I saw that you were playing, so I thought I'd come by and see. Right. I don't feel like I have to be in competition with, with somebody anymore. No. There are many people who have that one-upmanship still. And I refer to it as professional jealousy. I don't know if that's really what it is. That just harkens back to a Van Morrison song, the title of a Van Morrison song. And I don't, I don't know the song well enough to know that that's the sort of thing that it's about. But there's a lot of places. There are a lot of venues. There are venues. I'm finding out of venues. Oh, yeah. Everywhere. That, that have been established for years. Mm-hmm. People who have you know, a reoccurring gig every summer at like a water park. Yeah. And and have had this gig for twenty years. Mm-hmm. You know, people who are playing, you know, in in the lobby of some place or something like that. And they've always done it. And it's like why strip the scene bare like locusts through a field? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Everybody should just be supporting each other and hey, you know, you're at this place. Wow, that's great. Yeah. Rather than you're at this place. Well, who do I talk to to get in here? Yeah, I know. I know. We, we've all experienced it. We have. And it, it, if you let it, it will sour you. Oh yeah. You know? Easily. So it's 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 an actual action to maintain, kind of a, you know, Lori and I oh, have this. Yes. We have this uh, phrase that we use, she and I, um, like water. Uh-huh. So you just let it pass through you. Just water under you know? the bridge. Yeah. yeah, just let it Just let it go. If somebody's going to give you some negativity, just let it go and just be unchanged. Right, <laughs> right. And and so, yeah, I don't, I, again, I don't know if it's a fear-based thing or what, but, you know, um, House of Embers. Ah, uh, yeah. You know, Mike is a is a fairly decent guy. He's not booked me this entire summer. Um he he eh, you'll get a hundred dollars out of him. Uh-huh. Right? People fight over that gig. Yeah, I know, I know. It's no offense to him. It's a three and a half hour gig playing for people who are eating. Right. On a busy street. Or inside. Or inside, right. And you're not, it's not the Taj Mahal. No. Well, how can I say this? Taj Mahal is not a place for music. <laughs> I guess not. Well, no. It's not the rainbow. There you go. You know, it's not the, the I always Shea refer to. Stadium or anything. Yeah, Madison yeah. Square Garden. Yeah. But man, it's, it's like, yo, you got this? And you play there how often? And you make how much? Yeah, I know there's so much out there i know well here's interesting comparison to that which is back when i was in the band midlife crisis we used to play at the and i i used to laugh about it because it was the place all the bands wanted to play in madison it was the number one place what was it it was a bowling alley (laughs) the badger bowl if you made it to the Badger Bowl, you were a band. You were a Madison band. You were an established Madison band. And I always thought it was the silliest thing because it's like, 
We're playing in a bowling alley. <laughs> nothing against bowling alleys. Please, you know, don't, you know, nothing against them. But, I mean, it's like, you know, people were treating that just like that. It was like, oh, my gosh, how did you get in here? And it's like, well, so-and-so know so-and-so, so that's how they got in here, yeah. you know? Yeah, So, uh, yeah, I, I don't know. Um, I know that... Again, it's a competitive life that we live in. We we are competitors. Americans are competitors. We compete for everything. We compete for jobs. We compete for relationships. And and I guess in a way it's kind of hard to turn that off so that you can be, you know, happy, you know, mm-hmm. so that you can just go to a place and say, oh, this is kind of a cool band or, or this or that. But you're right. I I have run across that. You know the, the whole yeah. Just got off a nine state tour. <laughs> oh boy. <sighs> yeah. In the meantime, one of the guys I mentioned him earlier, Brian Beebe, one of the guys uh-huh. I look up to, plays the same place. Yeah. Four to five nights a week, his four hours a night or three hours a night. Mm-hmm. And that's making it. It is for yes, it is. <laughs> He doesn't have to do anything else. Right. Well, you know, I, I think a lot of it, <laughs> I want to blame it on a movie. I, I'm a big movie hound. Um, the Blues Brothers. Hmm. I think that's that's a lot of it. I think a lot of musicians get their, their thing from that, <laughs> which is, you know, Murph and the Magic Tones. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Yeah, the shag carpeted uh, amp cabinets. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I think you might be right about that. See? <laughs> but wouldn't it be nice to have that four nights a week? Absolutely. Just playing music, enjoying yourself, doing the thing you love to do. Bring your guitar in there, plug it in and play. Yeah. You know where you're at the next night. Yeah, yeah no four o'clock in the morning coming home from, you know, <laughs> wanny walk type of things. <laughs> well... Let's go ahead and, and wrap this thing up yes. here, Dale. I, it's been a, I'm sorry, I'm, I realized that this was a long one, so. No, it's it's quite all right. It's, cool. It's, it's been very enjoyable. Thank you. I, I do enjoy listening to you, and I just, I want you to know that I appreciate you. I really uh, appreciate you taking the time out and coming here and hanging out with me. Well, I appreciate it, too. I'm glad that you're four, four listeners. Is it five now? Uh, after today? Yeah. Well, <laughs> <laughs> thanks, Dale. Thanks for coming. Thank you, Alex. I appreciate it. I can hear my lips and my tongue and everywhere. So today's podcast episode was about Lonesome Dale. Lonesome Dale. Actually, today's podcast interview was conducted between myself and Lonesome Dale. And Dale is pretty awesome. Well, you recently got to play a little set with him at Beetlefest. I did over Labor Day weekend, actually on Labor Day, exactly. And it was a lot of fun. We should mention it was at the general store in Spring Green. Yes. The two of you did, what, six songs? Yeah, six, I think six songs. Um, it's a uh, 
it's a tradition. It's an annual event that they have there, Beetle Fest, and that takes place on Labor Day every year. Rain or shine. Yes, unfortunately this year it was rain. We've had a lot of rain. There has been a lot of rain. Unfortunately for a lot of people who may be listening to this podcast, it would have some effect on them. It's been a crazy week. For some of you that listen, you may have remembered the 2008 flood. Well, the 2018 turned into two within a week. Yeah, almost exactly to the day of each other. I'm glad that a lot of people did not take down their sandbag walls. I think that a lot of people were more prepared this time around. And I also think that they kept an eye on the weather longer as well. So I don't really have a lot of firsthand accounts to be able to say that people were were caught surprised by the second wave. I think that people were more unprepared emotionally for the second wave. There definitely were a lot of homes, especially on the west side of Reedsburg and in some of the neighboring towns like Laval, Hillsboro, and Waniwak, that were, um, we, we were able to travel through that area and it was in some areas like a, like a war zone, really. Pretty devastating. It was, it was pretty sad. I was holding back the tears as we were driving by people's homes and seeing the aftermath and the devastation with all of their belongings out on the front lawn waiting to be picked up by a dumpster. Yeah, it was pretty moving. And what is really awesome in this sort of situation anyway is how many communities band together to help those that were in need. And the Red Cross was here right away. And we were out filling sandbags. Um, and there were a lot of organizations, church groups and, and teacher organizations together that were arm in arm helping to create some sandbag walls around some properties and getting relief out to people who needed it. It is impressive to see when communities pull together. It's unfortunate that we don't see it more often and that it takes something negative sometimes to have that happen. But nonetheless, it was impressive and it continues to be heartwarming to see that. Yes, as we record this, cleanup is continuing and School in Reedsburg has been postponed for an extra couple of days, a little bit longer summer vacation for some of the kids. Which they are all pretty thrilled about. I think so. I think I think I would be, I know. And just looking ahead here, I took a quick peek at the the weather app on my phone and I see a lot of sunshine in the future, which is really encouraging and will definitely help the situation. Earlier this evening, as we were in our, our walk, which we are walking now, 
So those of you, I might have mentioned this before, those of you who see us out and about, please uh, be kind. And, and don't take offense if we don't recognize your vehicle or you as you beep or wave. We get a fair amount of that, which is nice. We're pretty determined when we're out walking, though. So don't take it personal if we don't say hello to you. But we do enjoy the encouragement. But anyway, we were out on our walk, and the rain had subsided this evening, and there was a really nice breeze, and that's exactly what's needed to help evaporate some of the water that's standing out there and dry off some of the lawns and dry off some of the property in and around town because everything is really saturated. Even if you are not fortunate enough to be in some of the higher areas of Reedsburg on any of the hills or, or the higher ground, even if you're in that area, you're still encountering a lot of, of wet soil and wet property. And, and so a few days of that sunshine, like you've seen on the forecast and, and some nice breeze would really go a long way. I think for people, not just in helping them, clean up and helping them get their lives back in order, but also maybe some, you know, emotional support as well. I think the sunshine and nice weather that's coming up will definitely help people with the emotional, mental part of it. Because even though we've been lucky enough to not have water ruining our home and property, the no sunshine and the constant rain has definitely taken a toll on I know myself and many others I I like sunshine I agree it's a it's a seasonal thing for me as well it's a really hard time coming into fall it can be really beautiful and the transition months can be really beautiful coming into fall the leaves changing and uh, spring is another one where everything starts to turn green, but winter is really hard, and, and the end result of, of fall is going into that cold, gray, seemingly endless season. And so as beautiful as fall, and fall is approaching, we're seeing some of the trees turn already, as beautiful as that may be, the end result with it, of course, is something that's not terribly desirable for you or me. And so we, we do both suffer from seasonal depression. And maybe we should get one of those one of those lamps. Maybe. Yeah, that that might help us out quite a bit. Maybe we should just live somewhere where sun shines. Well, until that day, I think we're probably going to need two lamps. <laughs> probably. Because I think we'll likely fight over the lamp. We will. And I think a lamp would be a dumb thing to fight over. (laughs) Even a sunshine lamp. But I think that somebody is going to want the lamp more than somebody else. And then when that somebody else is just going to want a little bit of time with the lamp. Not asking for much. Just a little bit of lamp time. (laughs) There will be a fight. Lamp. Lamp time. Just a little bit of lamp time. That sounds like a song in the making. 
everything sounds like a song in the making if you really put the right spin on it. A little bit of lamp time. Well, when Dale was here, he sang a new song. One that he wrote? Yeah, yeah, a brand new song that that he had written. Dale is a very prolific writer, and we didn't really touch upon a lot of the things that he has written beyond songs and music. He, he, he writes all kinds of things, uh, screenplays and short stories and narratives. And a lot of it is available on his website, which I think is uh, lonesomedale.com, if I'm not mistaken. I'll have a link to it when I post the podcast. I'm always kind of in the dark when we do these little recaps because I haven't heard the interview yet and I don't usually get to sit in during the interview because the way we schedule them, I'm usually working when you're doing them. So this is all news to me and now I'm intrigued. I'm going to have to spend some time listening to the Dale, Lonesome Dale podcast interview. Yeah, it was a, it was a great interview. I learned a lot about Dale and we covered a lot of ground. So I I recommend it. It's You see Dale has been a part of the music scene in the area for a number of years and he's been in and out of a few bands and what I had perceived to be probably the um most well-known band of his checkered past and having a number of different incarnations from the 90s until now. Wait a minute. You need to clarify that a little bit it's the band name called checkered past it's not that dale has a checkered past well if you listen to the podcast (laughs) you might know whether or not it's the band name or social commentary on dale's checkered past Ooh. honestly it's the band name (laughs) So if anyone out there is listening at this point, you've probably heard the interview already, so I won't recap the interview. I hope that everybody enjoyed it, though. That being said, I think we're probably going to draw this episode to a close. Is there anything that you want to say to anybody out there right now? Hang in there, Reedsburg. We're going to get through this flood stuff and come out on the other end stronger for it and I've been impressed with the community and the support and help that people have given to businesses and personal property and um, it's been very inspiring to see that I agree I'm going to take it a little bit more personally and, and, and give a personal thank you to Mayor Dave Estes, who has been tirelessly updating everybody. It seems he's been in the thick of it and very active in making sure that everybody's aware of what's happening and letting them know the the changes um, like during the time when, when the bridge that crossed the Baraboo River, the Main Street Bridge was closed and then when it reopened and he was pretty candid about the second wave of storms that were coming through and the effect that it would have and it was um 
it was really good of him to be that way and to do that and to uh, put himself out there. He's a, he's a local guy and he loves the community and it shows. And so, uh, you know, thank you to Mayor Dave. I, I don't know if, I, I don't know that he listens, but. Well, you should probably interview him sometime and get him on board. Probably. There's no guarantee, though, that he's going to listen to that one, though, either. But, yeah, I, I think I'd like to sit down with Mayor Dave for, for a little bit of time. I think that would be interesting. So until the next podcast, this is Alex. This is Lori. And uh, stay strong, Reedsburg. We'll, we'll catch you next time. What is it? Hashtag Reedsburg Strong? Yeah, I believe it is. There you go. There you go.